I'm Lawrence Krauss, and you're listening to Trek Talk. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Trek Talk, Episode 6. This is your co-host, Ashley Hughes. Yes, I got a promotion. Thanks, guys. <laughs> You're welcome. Hey, What's Ashley? going on? <laughs> Congratulations. You have been risen to the prominent position of Trek Talk co-host. Oh, thank you. you. <laughs> I am honored. <laughs> <laughs> and I am John Alley. One of your other co-host and your other co-host garen gillum who was hopefully not being replaced <laughs> <laughs> no, any, any, any more technical difficulties and you're out i'm telling you i know i had an internet <laughs> blip here yep whoever has the shadiest internet gets dropped so. <laughs> oh crap but okay. i but i have the soundboard so <laughs> <Dang it. laughs> Must be streaming upstairs. Must be Melissa streaming, uh, doing her uh, um, her binge watching okay. on the latest British crime show. Oh, it's, she's not streaming Star Trek. What's up with this? Of course not. Does your wife stream Star Trek? <laughs> uh, no, no, she does not. She should. <laughs> so, how how is your guys' week? It's been crazy. <laughs> Another day at the funny farm, man. It's crazy. But glad to be here. Glad to be on the show. Can relax and talk about stuff that's really fun and interesting. That's true. <laughs> Perhaps we should talk about that new intro we have from the esteemed theoretical oh. physicist, Dr. Lawrence Krauss. What's the story behind that? That's right. Well, Professor Krauss recently had a, a really awesome lecture in D.C. at the Smithsonian, um, and it was for his new book entitled Why Are We Here?, which I cannot wait to read. I think it's going to be awesome. Well, actually, actually, the sorry, Ash, uh, the lecture was Why Are We Here? The book is titled The Greatest Story Ever Told oh, So Far. That's right. So far. <laughs> yes. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. It's easy to get those. Yeah, the, the book and the lecture were titled two different things, but. Oh, Just I'm I... a horrible co-host. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Anyhow, it was a super interesting lecture, and and uh, we got a copy of the book at the end of the night, and so we went up to see Professor Krauss and get our book signed, and we had the brilliant idea of asking him to do an intro for our show, yeah. and he did. He yeah. was super That's gracious, good. awesome guy, really smart too. And he, and he had awesome shoes on, bright red. <laughs> oh, yes. I saw that. Yes. And, of course, um, not only is he you know, a very uh, preeminent physicist and author, um, he, of course, wrote uh, a book called The Physics of Star Trek. So, uh, yes. yes. So it's very fitting, I think, for our intro. And uh, he, he was also at the uh, – he was on the last Trek, Star Trek – cruise oh yeah that's right that was yeah. uh, a couple months ago well he said unfortunately he won't be on the next one um but maybe the one after that 
Have either one of you read the physics of Star Trek? Yes. Oh, you have? Okay. I do. I have it. I'll, I'll give it to you. You got to read it. It's uh, cool. It's cool. I did not. I've, I've, I read uh, a universe from nothing. Yeah, yeah, that one's I think my favorite so far. But I haven't I haven't read this new book that I messed up the title on. Sorry, <laughs> Dr. Krauss. Uh, Sorry, Dr. Krauss. <laughs> I think actually that that new one is probably should be more. I thought I mean the universe for nothing. I mean it's it's a pretty high concept. I mean I've read. A number of physics books for the so you know lay audience if you will but it was it's pretty high concept I, this one based on the lecture and i and look flipping through the book he kind of starts off with um you know with more early history and uh, uh physics and some of the ba the base um theories it looks like it's probably going to work forward from that so right it should be Probably a good a good book to read without having to kind of go back and have a a baseline already. So <laughs> sounds like a good traditional physics book. They always kind of start in the beginning, you know, Newton, yada yada, Einstein, yeah. and marching on up. So and he's gonna take us to something new, I suppose. That's the payoff, which he didn't he didn't really get to, which is I understand that. That's during this during the talk, right? So he's he's obviously building up to something interesting. He has to leave us wanting more, so you know, it builds a good baseline in the lecture, and we have to go buy the book for more. <laughs> yeah, and he's gonna be touring, right? So, yeah. To kind of so keep an eye out, listeners, for Dr. Krauss in your area. He's going to several cities, I think, doing that. The tour is called Why Are We Here? Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah that one. <laughs> uh, fun stuff. I mean, I you know, once you start reading some of these books on physics, particularly the you know the the, the more of the modern theories, and, you know, you you quickly discover that um, it's pretty fascinating on the the you know what reality truly is. A lot more fascinating than what would appear in, uh, shall we say, certain uh, stories, if you will. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Reality is much more uh, mysterious and fascinating than you would probably uh, otherwise believe. Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And, um, you know, along those lines, Brian Greene's books, his new, his most recent one deals with multiverses and... Yeah. alternate realities and yeah. just the these things could exist you know entirely it's it's super it's super awesome there yeah. that, that those are good reads too all his He's, books brian green yeah he, he he wrote a couple books on uh i think all, um alter uh parallel universes i believe yeah yeah, yeah, he started yeah. The, i read one of his the string theory uh, in the elegant universe, and then fabric of yeah. the cosmos, and the most recent one I think is my favorite because it's just it goes it mixes in string theory because I think he started a string theorist, and then um, you know the the advanced kind of like at the leading edge of physics multiverse uh, kind of theories going on. That's just really awesome. I I really like the multiverse theories, but me too. They're 
they're one of they're that's a theory that's it's it's more on the level of there's no way to to falsify it at this point true so it's kind of more speculation but it's yeah, it's cool to speculate it's, yeah it's definitely cool to speculate i mean there's an, another universe where the three of us is doing another podcast but is it star trek or star hey. eight we don't know <laughs> there's another universe where oh yeah in star well, trek <laughs> Well, think about some some of the universes either or some of the theories on the multiverse is like, well, there's there's either billions and billions of universes that it, it would basically be infinite number of universes, or some of the theories could say that there are infinite number of universes, which pretty much means anything you could possibly think of could occur in one of these universes. <laughs> so, yeah, we are members of Starfleet and some universes. <laughs> exactly. That's true, yes. <laughs> I am there the actually is a universe where Starfleet and uh, the Star Trek universe exists. <laughs> Some universe, I could be the captain of the USS Endeavor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you are in this universe as well, my friend. That's true. No getting out of that. <laughs> so, in other news, well, do we have any other uh, any Star Trek news that's come out lately that either one of you know? Um, I would say no real news if it's related to Discovery. No, there's nothing additional since we last had the cast announcements, I believe. Yeah, the lot with uh, Jason Isaac and yeah, you know, the um, the cadets, uh, the actresses. I'm drawing a blank, but yeah, those were the last uh, cast announcements. But um. I, I, that was the last piece of official official news. Yeah, but th there's uh, recently on YouTube a, a video posted uh, called "Star Trek Discovery in Trouble." Thoughts, Garen? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little disappointed that this was that Alec Peters posted this on 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 the page on the Axonar page because well number one he seems to have been an advocate of like not bashing current Star Trek regardless of kind of how he got screwed over with the fan film right. so I was kind of surprised that he would be one to push something out like that because I mean basically what it is you got a video of non-insiders people are not connected to the show making claims that the show's uh in trouble. Now I haven't watched the whole thing myself. Itself, maybe it, it shows that, and maybe it ends up debunking those those theories. I don't know. I don't. I don't really know how where the video goes. Right. Maybe it says, "Hey, here's the things that are happening, and and here's why it's not relevant or don't believe it." So I guess I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, the, I really the, the title is it. very clickbaitish, you know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, and I have I I really don't want to read or get into those things because okay. The show's not out. Mm -hmm. We all know very, very little about it. It to me, it's just the ultimate and just stupidity to claim something is going to be bad or you're not going to watch it because of right. rumor. Yeah, it, and it's still it's, it's still five months away until it air. Uh, well, for you, I'm not sure. Late summer, early fall, and they they have plenty. Obviously. They looks like they put together a great cast. They uh, the set pieces that we have seen look like they're going to be pretty good. I mean, pretty much the only thing we've really seen is the captain's chair. But 
but good cast. And they've got plenty of time for post-production to work on all the effects and get everything perfect. So I, I, I think it's going to be good. Um, the, only, the only thing I wish, you know, it was still on uh, the network, not uh-huh. CBS All Access. I, I just think yeah. more, more people would have access to it. I, I, you know what? In this day and age, I'm happy they're doing it with the with the the paid. Because uh, I'm back to look. I mean, they it's a paid service. It, you know, it's supported by that. It doesn't have to rely on the Nielsen ratings yeah, nonsense. True. true. Um, oh, that's a good point. Do you think it'll you know, sustain from that? Like, and it's gonna be oh. the it'll be the flagship of, of CBS. I mean, the, and they're running the numbers. I mean, they, you know these these people are not stupid. I mean, they would not be investing this much money into it. They already have an idea of how much money they're gonna pull in. Yeah, and they also don't have to. I mean, they will, but they don't have to rely on sponsors because it's the people subscribing that are funding this more yeah. or less. Well, true, but they'll, they'll still have both. Because... Yeah, oh yeah, they will definitely have both. Unless you I mean, pay, unless convert... you pay more to get commercial free. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there you go. I mean, well, hey, it's a great business model. Okay, yeah. one version of it at this level, you get, <laughs> you get, uh, you get the show, but you still have to watch the commercials and or, or pay, give us more, and uh, no commercials. But it's a business. I mean, shows are on TV so that people watch the commercials. I mean, that's the history of TV. There wouldn't be TV if there weren't commercials. So um, I'm fine with it. I think it, it sets up the show in a, a better financial uh, foundation. Yeah, and they'll also uh, be able to do things or and have stories that they wouldn't normally be able to have on broadcast television. More adult right. situations. Hopefully. Do you think it's going to be more adulty? this point i can't tell i mean uh hopefully no more than like you know say the walking dead because you know i'd still like to have a show i can sit down and watch with my kids <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> without without you know going oh my god <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> my view on that is i think they'll, they'll have a little more leeway on just the general storylines and uh yeah the topics i you know i don't think they would go into and into more you know adult content in terms of stepping up the violence or you know swearing nudity stuff like that violence it's I, i would hope not that's nuts that wouldn't be that's yeah not star trek right wouldn't be trekky of them not, not that I don't mind any of that stuff. I mean, one of my favorite shows was Spartacus. So hey, bring it on! Oh, but yes, that's, that's Spartacus. <laughs> this is Star Trek. So good. That's <laughs> a good show. John, did you see that? Did you see Spartacus? No, I did not. Oh, catch up, dude. <laughs> I have it's so, not long. I have so much to catch up on. <laughs> Get started. Get busy. Did you Did you end up see, uh, watching all the seasons of Spartacus? Actually. Yeah, I watched. Well, I don't. I can't say I watched all of them. I think I did catch most of them though. And then after, well, Andy Whitfield was only the first season, right? Because Andy Whitfield, and then they did the prequel season, right? And then they did two more seasons with uh, the actor who played that. You know, the new actor they got to play Spartacus. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. Andy I, was I, my favorite, but the other ones were good. I've got them all on Blu-ray. I, yeah. I I'll try to watch them before I die. Promise. <laughs> <laughs> now that's good. This show is that show is awesome. I know it's not Star Trek, but it's a great thing. Yeah. Anyway, not to get off topic. Hey, that's okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's it's an awesome show. Yeah. So, Garen, uh, uh, do you want to go into what this week's show is about? This show, yes. We're supposed to have a short intro. We're probably at an hour knowing us. And we're, an hour <laughs> we, we're, we're, we're around 16, 17 minutes. All right. That's, that's, that's so not... good. <laughs> that's good for this us. A... I mean, this podcast, you know, three friends sitting down at a table discussing Star Trek and other things we love. So I <laughs> <laughs> right. hope you enjoy it, people. <laughs> You get to eavesdrop. <laughs> That's right. Um, yes. So this is actually a special show uh, this time around for episode six. Um, John and I uh, conducted our first interview. It was awesome. Uh, and it was it was great. Um, it's actually quite long. Um, but the interview is with... Um, Two of the original designers of the Star Trek role-playing game, published by FASA Corporation in 1982, when the first version came out. Um, there were three designers of that game, uh, Guy McLemore and uh, Greg Payline, along with David T. Poole. Um, unfortunately, David passed away. Um, some time ago, but we interviewed Guy and Greg. Um, it was just a great interview. Um, of course, if you have watched this podcast, or sorry, listened to this podcast, I always mix that up because I see you guys on Skype, so I want to say watch. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Well, hopefully, one hopefully uh, one day we can have both audio and a video option. Oh. Jeez, but, but I'm but I'm but I'm still I'm still trying to get all the audio straightened out, so it'll be a while. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that we you know we you know we play role playing games. Um, uh, Faz's Star Trek role playing game was the first uh, officially licensed Star Trek role playing game, um, and published in the early '80s. We you know we still play it now. Um, Actually, I played more now than I did back in the eighties. There you go. Yeah, exactly. That was my uh, first game, my first RPG, and it's awesome. Oh, I didn't know right. that. That I didn't know that was your first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, they they released a lot of great content and books and just background material for for the Star Trek back in back in the eighties when there wasn't a lot of that around. So. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's just just a great interview. Um, they, they were very yeah they were very generous with their time and uh, they, I I could have actually sat and listened to them a couple more hours. <laughs> I'm sure they had yeah. I'm sure they had plenty of stories, but yeah the, yeah, the stuff they told us it, it was great and stuff I never heard before. Especially, yeah. especially about Gary Gygax. <laughs> oh yeah, about Gary Gygax. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, not to kind of spoil it, but yeah. I mean, really, if you're if you're if you're listening to up to this point, and you in your course, if you're interested in Star Trek, if you're interested in role playing games, role playing game history, 
Uh, you know, they got some stories that, like you said, John, I never heard about Gary Gygax. Of course, creator, you know, one of the creators of Dungeons and Dragons, along with Dave Arneson. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got, you know, um, Guy and Greg talk about, you know, meeting um, Gene Ronberry, meeting Maisel Brett Ronberry. Um, just a lot of fun stuff, that, you know, uh, how they right. got the Walter Koenig and Jimmy Doohan. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> how they got how they got the you know the commission you know to do the job, which is a great story and just just really good stuff. So I mean, I can't wait to hear it. You know, we talked about maybe breaking this up into into multiple segments because it was so long. Um, but we figured, look, um, it's probably best to keep it on on one uh, one file, one download for you know just it's history's sake and you know yeah. make it easy for everyone to kind of download and listen to it versus having you know versus having to wait right and you and i mean obviously not many people have two hours 20 minutes to sit down well more like two hours 40 minutes with our intro to sit down yeah. and, and uh and to listen to a full uh interview so i mean you get to a good stopping yeah. spot you know go back like listen to it later yeah that's pause man <laughs> yeah <laughs> So uh, Still it's, exists, it's right? hard, but I feel like we should just move on into that, even though I'm going to keep talking with you guys. I know. Let's do it. Well, we, can, so we, can, we can keep to, we can, we can uh, get to good, I mean, get into the interview and we can uh, turn turn the recorder off and keep talking. <laughs> All right. Let's do that. All right, everyone. Here's, uh, we'll move on to that interview, which was, of course, pre-recorded, uh, the interview with um, Guy McLemore and... Greg Payline, the original designers of Faz's Star Trek role-playing game. See you next time on Truck Talk. See you all later. Or talk to you all later. See ya. Incoming transmission. All right. So uh, so we're here with uh, Guy McLemore and Greg uh, Poline, which – am I pronouncing that name correctly? No, it's, it's Payline. 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 Okay. All right. Um, two of the original designers of Faza's Star Trek, the role-playing game, which was, I think the first edition was released in, was it 82 or 83? 82. 82. Mm-hmm. All right. Great. So, so I guess uh, just a couple things I wanted to say, guys, is, um, you know, I, uh, I, when I first became a Star Trek fan back in the, in the early eighties, um, of course, I discovered the show. I discovered the some of the novels, and then I I, I found the game, and uh, I just I just I really loved it. And unfortunately, at the time, I didn't actually get to play the game with anybody, but <laughs> um, uh, because I didn't know enough people that were into Star Trek. Uh, however, um, I bought as many of the books as I could. I loved reading the adventures. Um, I really got a kick out of of going through the character creation, which I want to talk to you about a little bit later. That was kind of like a mini game in, game in itself for me. Mm-hmm. A lot of fun. Um, so this is just, just kind of really cool for us to get a chance to do this. Um, John, did you want to say anything? Uh, no. I, I, like Garen said, I, well, I, was a, I was a fan of Star Trek probably a little bit before Garen. Uh, I think I'm a little bit older. and uh, But, yeah, when, when I found the Star Trek role-playing game, it's like, 
I bought as much stuff as I could afford at the time. And like Garen, I couldn't find anybody to play with, but I would just I would just read through the materials and you know design my own ships and characters and it was it was like uh, other than the novels it was the role playing game was like all the star trek you could really find in those dark ages <laughs> well we we really appreciate that uh we go back to the beginnings of uh star trek as fans uh i remember watching the first episode with my mother on a black and white television uh, so that really dates me, I guess, but that's that's where I was. And, uh, you know, Greg, Greg's been a fan as long. Uh, so, you know, first and foremost, I guess we are fans. That's uh, That was the, the whole reason for doing it. Uh, we kind of backed into this, as I'm sure we will talk about. We had no idea this was something that was going to ever happen. Uh, but it was a dream come true for us to be able to do it. Uh, and I'm always surprised by how many people still remember the game, are still playing it, have still have introduced it to you know new generation of fans, yeah. uh, not used to things lasting quite as long as that in the gaming industry. Uh, but it's it's always fun when I run across somebody who, who remembers the game, and even more so when they're still playing. So yes. we're happy to be here. And, and hopefully, as once we get through some of the, the questions, we can talk a little bit about that because we we do still play the game. Yes. Uh, so uh, actually, we just finished one of the adventures uh, about two weeks, two or three weeks ago. Yeah, we sure did. All right. Um, so so well, thanks for that. You answered one of our first questions about you know whether you you know about whether you were actually you know Star Trek fans before you got into this. How about how did uh, uh, Guy and Greg, how did you get involved in the role-playing industry itself, and what other uh, what other games did you play? Uh, uh, I was introduced to Dungeons and Dragons in its first edition, uh, and the, I was very very lucky. The first person who was my game master was John M. Ford, a name you're going to oh. recognize uh, yes. as uh, the author of two Star Trek novels. Um, he, he plays a very, very big part in what we what we did with Star Trek. But at the time, we were uh, roommates, and I was in graduate school, uh, Indiana University. And he introduced me to uh, the Wargaming Club there, and then eventually uh, to uh, Dungeons & Dragons, his first edition. Uh, he taught me to play, he taught me to game, uh, and taught me also to, to uh, game master later. So... Um, I went into it very, very early as far as a player was concerned. Greg? Uh, I didn't come into it uh, quite as early. Um, Guy had moved back to Evansville by the time I, when I got into it. Um, and he was actually working at a, at a local hobby shop. And that's where I purchased my first copy of the three-book set of, uh, of D&D as well. And so I started playing D&D here and there uh, with a couple of friends and then eventually uh, got linked up with uh, Guy and the local uh, gaming group uh, and uh, Guy and I have been uh, fast friends pretty much ever since. Yep. Uh, goes goes way back for us. The uh, um, I met Greg after coming back uh, to, to Evansville after graduate school and we had uh, a lot of mutual interests, as it turned out. We, we met at a, 
uh, a bookstore, uh, which is kind of the way people like us meet, uh, I suppose. Uh, but we met at a bookstore and, and kind of went from there. Uh, he joined the gaming group that we had at that time. Uh, and then, uh, you know, from there we've had... This would have been about 78. Yeah. yeah. Bit. I, yeah. Just, I had just yeah. graduated college. Uh, and, uh, and, and then lost pro promptly lost my job and I was out of work for about six months. So I spent about six months, uh, looking for a job and, and gaming <laughs> from, from that, uh, from time I started until, till I met Greg, I was, uh, work, I was, uh, living in Bloomington for quite some time. Uh, I did graduate school there, like I say, uh, and, uh, uh, Mike, as we called it was the, uh, uh, was my game master, my roommate. Uh, later, I moved back and then turned around and moved back to Bloomington and, and starved as a freelance writer uh, for some time. Uh, never be a freelance writer in a college town. Uh, there are too many other too many people who are willing to do it for free. Uh, you, you cannot make a living doing that. Uh, so, uh, but uh, I uh, was involved with a gaming group there. Then I came back and started one here. Uh, which, like I said, Greg, Greg later got together with us on. Uh, and in the meantime, I attended my first Gen Con, Gen Con 9. Again, that really oh, wow. dates me. Um, I was telling someone the other day that uh, I remember when Gary Gygax and his very young son at that time, Ernie, uh, yeah. were selling hot dogs at a booth at <laughs> Gen Con 9 to, to pay oh, for Horticultural wow. Hall. Uh, so that goes back a ways there. Uh, wow. but, uh, Gary was an amazing guy. Uh, we had quite a few interactions with him. I, I worked, you know, for him at one point I worked, uh, hey. uh we, we, he, uh, he, he was, uh, once very upset with us over something. You'll, we'll get to that probably too, oh, but, wow. uh, it was, a, it was, it was an interesting time to be a, to be a gamer. He just didn't uh, know it was us. He just didn't know it was us, oh. which is probably just as well. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that. Trust me. There's we've wow. a lot of stories. Did you, uh, did you play D and D with Gary? No, I never got to play D and D with Gary. I did play with Ernie at one point at a, <laughs> uh, uh, tournament at uh, well, it was it, it was it was a game, not not an official tournament at Gen Con. Uh, I did happen to be in the same group with Ernie at one point, uh, but uh, that's the only time that I ever did that. Now, of course, met him any number of times, but never got to play. Wow, that's that is really, I mean, you're you're really hitting us with some great stories already. I didn't I didn't know about that you were friends with John Ford, and of course the background about your involvement with Gary. This is this is great. Well, I guess that kind of takes us to the next question in, in terms of then how did you how did you make the jump into writing for games and designing RPGs? I started out doing some uh, writing for um, metagaming uh, when they were introducing and, and doing their uh, uh, micro game uh, board games and things like that. I was one of the first, you know, devotees of Ogre. Uh, and then from there went on to uh, uh, correspond with uh, Howard Thompson, who was the uh, the head of, of, of uh, metagaming at the time. Uh, he was looking for some people to write for the fantasy trip system that Steve Jackson created for metagaming. Uh, it's what ended up later on inspiring GURPS uh, okay. after he left there. Uh, 
but Steve left uh, Metagaming, and uh, they were looking for some writers. I ended up writing uh, my very first professional full game, I guess, would have been Grail Quest, uh, a, a solo quest for that, uh, which did pretty well. And since he was happy with that, they, uh, they asked me to take over as the line editor for Fantasy Trip when Steve Jackson left, when he left the company. Okay. Uh, so I kind of fell into that that way, and I, I line edited the uh, uh, Fantasy Trip games until such time as they, that was metagaming went under and that was discontinued. Yeah, in the meantime, uh, about that point, I think it was, uh, Guy and I ended up becoming roommates for a while, uh, for quite a while, and <clears throat> I hadn't done any uh, design work. I, I, I tried writing a couple of things, but nothing... Nothing that that was saleable at that point. Uh, so Guy and I started collaborating on some fantasy trip uh, projects and ideas. And uh, of course, fantasy trip. Uh, the other other name that you might recognize it more as would be uh, uh, Melee and Wizard, uh, the okay. two micro games that that started it all. And then they did Advanced Melee, Advanced Wizard, and the uh, In the Labyrinth was the uh, was the game master's book for uh, for the fantasy that trip. made it a full RPG at that yeah. point. And Guy and I were have been or were tinkering with a uh, superhero version of uh, of the fantasy trip, and just kind of tinkering with stuff in general. Um, and then we just then we ended up partnering up with our our with our third partner uh, David Teepool. And our first product that we decided to go into publication with was a character sheet for the fantasy trip. Oh, okay. And so we did the layout on that and printed those up, and we put them together ourselves and packaged them and the whole bit. And uh, then we took them up to Gen Con, which leads into the story about Gary Gygax not being too terribly happy. <laughs> oh, with us. oh, yes, yes. Okay. Well, that was the year that Gary Gygax went on a tear in the in in his editorial in uh, Dragon Magazine oh, about the Game that. Manufacturers Association, and he rather felt that the that Gamma was pretty much worthless, uh, and that uh, that TSR was really the only should be the only game in town, and and. Mm -hmm. Everybody who was a Gamma member didn't matter. You got to you got to understand about Gary at the time. Uh, this was in the very heyday of, of Dungeons and Dragons when the world at large was taking notice of the game. Uh, it had, uh, you know, they had been through all of the uh, uh, the early controversies and things about it. Uh, the uh, uh, Mazes and Monsters book had come out, and all of this. And Gary had left uh, Lake Geneva and moved to Hollywood, where he was heading up TSR Entertainment up there. He basically was yeah. doing the marketing of Dungeons and Dragons for television and 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 movies and and larger projects uh, to bookstores and and all of this kind of thing. So they were they were their heyday. And Gary was flush at that point. He had it all. He was right on top of the world. Uh, he drove a you know he he. Uh, uh, 
traveled around to Gen Con in, in a chauffeur limousine, uh, <laughs> arrived at Gen Con chauffeur limousine uh, with with the the with the with armed bodyguards. On, armed bodyguards. Yeah, two armed what? bodyguards. Uh, and so here we are. We're we're running the metagaming booth at Gen Con. Uh, this was when it was at the college, right? Yeah. yeah. This, this was at uh, Kenosha. Yeah, at Kenosha. And, and uh, uh, we were setting up in this college uh, basketball court, basically, is where the de dealer's room was. And we were running the, the metagaming booth there and introducing our first independent product, which we were licensing for that. And I and, had just that week, we had just joined Gamma, Gamma. As, as manufacturer members. Uh, yeah, we'd known everybody there. I mean, we corresponded with most everyone in the in the industry, only independent people. Uh, Metagaming was a, a gamma member as well, so uh, we were involved with with a lot of that, and we were trying to be more involved. We were trying to be involved with the organization, uh, trying to to make our brand a little bit at that point. So Gary shows up at the convention, shows up the dealer's room, pulls in outside this huge white stretch limousine. Uh, gets out with his two two obviously armed bodyguards. I mean, these these people look like um, a cross between a WWF wrestler and a Secret Service man, um, you know. Except they were wearing white, not black. Uh, so <laughs> kind of obvious uh, group of people. Um, and we had been working with the Gamma people the night before. I, sh um, I should point out that yeah. the, the issue of Dragon that had that editorial had just come out a few days before that Gen Con. Right, it was actually being distributed so, right there. At so the Gen Con. all the Gamma members at Gen Con were kind of up in arms anyway. They weren't real happy with Gary and, and SR at that point. So we'd had a meeting with the Gamma people the night before, and they said, well, what we need to do in the face of this is to really make a show at Gen Con uh, and let everybody know, you know, how many of us there are and, and how big Gamma is and how devoted to this we are so that, you know, people understand who we really are and what we really do. We had produced these bagged character sheets that had been printed up, and we had fluorescent red labels stuck to these things. When we did the printing on those, we had red label stock left behind uh, for the trimmings, huge pieces of, of label stock. So that night we sat up and we just made, threw those in. We just yeah, threw that in with all the rest of the stuff. Yeah, it was just with the stuff that we, we dragged to the convention. Uh, and so we brought. We uh, said, "Well, you know, we can help with making some signs." And so we made these big fluorescent red stickers that said, "Proud member of Gay Manufacturers Association, Gamma." Right. Uh, and that morning we distributed these to every Gamma member in the place, and they were all over the convention. Uh, you know, every booth that there was a GABA member and, and some of the people had gone a little little haywire with this. They were sticking them to walls and sticking them in, bath, in the bathrooms and all of this kind of thing, uh, just really kind of kind of doing this. So Gary walks in and, you know, he's, he's you know, surrounded by fans. And, of course, he's talking to people and nobody's getting really close to him because they won't let them, uh, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, and at one point he's looking around going through the booths and, as he's walking through the convention, he keeps seeing all these stickers. Uh, yeah. And as luck would have it, he happened to be in front of the metagaming booth when he turns to the bodyguards and says, find out where those came from. Uh, <laughs> and we're sitting here going, 
Uh, uh, we're just yeah. game designers. Uh, just no problem, no problem. Just don't look at us. The one, the one thing you really didn't want to have happen is have get, <laughs> have him mad at you. Yeah. Uh, so, so we just kind of played it cool, and it all eventually blew over. But you know, it was pretty tense that week. It so was. That, it was that, an, that convention was very tense. However, that's the same weekend, the same Gen Con, where we met FASA. Okay. And now, what about what? What year was this? Now, this would have been eighty-one. Okay. Yeah, just it would have been a year, a year before the game oh, came. Less out. than a year. Less than a year. Yeah. We had um, we uh, guy and Dave had gone over to the FASA booth to talk to them about a board game that they'd come out with called uh, Grav Ball, and we'd been playing this and just loving the heck out of it. It was a a three dimensional uh, kind of a, kind of a um, rollerball sort of thing with with anti gravity, uh, and came with miniatures, uh, and nobody really done anything like that before, and we really got a kick out of it. And so we went over basically just to say, "Hi, we really like your game." Now, when and you say three dimensional, I was back at the booth, manning the booth by myself, waiting for them to come back. Well, in the meantime, the two of them, they start talking to, uh, I guess, Jordan Weissman. Jordan Weissman. Yeah. Who happens in the conversation to mention, oh, by the way, we've got this license for Star Trek, and we've been through a couple of design teams who just can't get anything together. It's just not coming together for us. Yeah. And, he, and he makes the remark to, to David. He says, you guys wouldn't happen to know anything about Star Trek, would you? <laughs> And he looks at me, and I look at him. Oh yeah, yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Well, I should <laughs> add that at the time, I was Evansville's trivia Star Trek trivia master. Yes, um, we had uh, we had had a small little Star Trek convention here, just a little local thing, and they had a trivia contest, and I blew them away <laughs> with the uh, with the with the the you know I I got something like a perfect score on it. I Greg, think Greg was our trivia guy, and uh, he's I our had. Backgrounder. I had, you know, I had all the Star Trek books that were out at the time, like Making of Star Trek and World yeah. of Star Trek and all the reference materials. And I mean, I had thrown myself fully into it. At the time, you could recite a line from an episode and I could tell you exactly what the episode name was, who wow. all the stars were, the whole nine yards. I mean, I knew everything there was to know about Star Trek. David, David was a huge fan as well. And I'd come out of the you know the original saved Star Trek uh, uh, thing after second after the second season. Uh, I participated in the the write-in campaign with that, and really? uh, uh, had corresponded uh, uh, with the people involved with with doing that. So it was it was you know I, I knew most of, most of the people in that. I was I never got to travel at that time. I hadn't gotten to travel to a lot of conventions. Uh, but I corresponded with uh, John and B. Joe Trimble and and the people okay. who were behind this the Save Star Trek man. So you know I'd I'd been in it for a while. It was was fairly well known, uh, you know, as being a fan. But I wasn't well known, you know, because they didn't they didn't see me. I didn't get get around to conventions. And this is is pre internet, you know, or at least pre really big internet. Yeah. So uh, you know it was it was kind of thing that I was very peripheral uh, in fandom. Uh, but I, I knew a lot of people in fandom. So Greg, uh, David and I just kind of look at each other, and we're trying desperately not to overplay our hand. <laughs> oh, okay, uh, you know, or, or devolve trying... into a giggling. Fit. Yes, exactly. We're trying, <laughs> trying to be trying to be really cool. 
about this, you know, well, gee, you know, I don't know. I, you know what you, it all depends on what you want to do and how you want to do it and what your deadlines would be and all this kind of thing. Um, and, uh, you know, because inside we're going, yes, Star Trek! <laughs> the ultimate <laughs> it just went, we were going nuts inside yeah. and just desperately trying to be cool on the outside so they wouldn't know how excited we were uh, because we wanted to have some negotiating position on this. Right. We knew, look at each other, we were going to do it. We were going to do it if we had to do it for free, <laughs> but we're going to do it anyway. Yeah. But it was just, you know, we wanted to be cool. So they sat us down and told us basically the story behind this. They had gotten the license for Star Trek for uh, board games and uh, role-playing both and they had this, um, you know, at a time, remember, when the, the license wasn't really expensive at that okay. point. Uh, you know, this was prior to uh, the first episodes of uh, The Next Generation coming out, was prior to any of that. Uh, and they had the license, but they had to go through Roddenberry and Paramount uh, for approvals on everything. Mm-hmm. So... Thassa's people were mostly war gamers. That was the background they had come out of, was board war games. Most of the people who were who were involved in Thassa at the time were primarily war gamers and had gotten into role-playing from that. And they turned in a manuscript, and then two, and then three, uh, and then they hired some outside designers and tried other things. It, in all, I know there were at least four full submissions to Paramount uh, and and Rodberry to get approval for the project, and they were all turned down, every one of them. Wow. Uh, and largely, the reason that they were turned down, reason they were giving FASA, is that it was just too too no, combat oriented. It was oh. it was too martial. Uh, that you know all and you know, what they were mostly interested, of course, was let's let's get these sh- ships out here and fight. Uh, that would have been, the, you know, that was the most fun. And, you know, Starfleet Battles was out, was very popular. And I thought, oh, well, heck, you know, now we, we've got the real license here. We can, we can outdo that. Right. Uh, but they couldn't get anything past anybody. So after four attempts, they were running out of time. Their license was about to expire. And if they didn't get a product out within a year, they were gone. It, yeah. it, it would revert. This was August of 81. Yeah. They had to have a completed product ready to go by January 1 of 82. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. So they had to have something they could submit. Uh, and so when so they, they gave were us the deadlines, they gave us a deadline. They had to be desperate. We, we had no real name other than among really hardcore gamers at that point. Uh, you know, we were known to the other companies and things like that because we'd interacted with them a lot but we had no name as designers Uh, was that that the time that you had the company is it fantasia simulations yeah fantasy simulations associates was formed mainly to really to uh release those uh character sheets for for fantasy trip that was the first family uh, fantasy simulations product and ultimately we had kind of we were kind of planning to do some other products for fantasy trip as well maybe some adventures that sort of thing but the character sheets were a quick and easy way to get our foot in the door and actually get into manufacturing so yeah. we were we weren't well known at all as designers but they went to us because frankly there was you know they were desperate to find someone 
who could turn in a manuscript that would work and would get them past uh, Paramount uh, before the license ran out, before they, they it reverted uh, on that. So they gave us this incredible short deadline to do this. They wanted a, a working combat system, uh, starship combat system. They wanted a, a working personal combat system. They wanted a character creation system. And what else was there? That, that, was, had to be, that, was, that was the primary, primary three the primary pieces things. Uh, that had to be ready to show them so that they could show it around. Uh, and we had to have that within month and a half. Something like. Month and a half. Yeah. Um, the, uh, and, you know, being crazy, we took it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> we, knew we, were, we knew where they were going to do it. If they told us we had to stand on one foot when we wrote all of it, we would have. <laughs> Uh, but they didn't have to know that, so uh, we we sealed the deal there, and you know we started start work on that. And then they came back to the booth and said, "Oh, by the way, we just got a project. Um, you know anything about Star Trek?" Of course, they knew. You know that was a rhetorical question, but it's like, yeah. And that's when they they told me the whole story about what had just transpired, and I'm <laughs> like, okay, we'll we'll. We'll do this. It was, it was kind of analogous to us coming back, you know, from uh, a walk in the park and, and right. coming back with dwarven gold. <laughs> it's just like, oh, by the way, we tripped across this great big chest. We just here. tripped over the leprechaun's pot of gold. Yeah, um, just happened you know. to be there. So is so is it that so it was it was uh, guy you it was you guy and and David that spoke to Jordan and was, Greg was. was David David and I spoke to Jordan first. Greg okay. was, was banning the booth at the time. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we went we went back, told Greg about it, and oh, I see. spent okay. the rest of the convention just gleefully sitting around going, we can do this. No, hey, we can no, do this. No, <laughs> we spent most of the rest of the convention kicking around ideas. Well, yeah. And bouncing ideas putting back stuff and together. forth. Uh went back, I think I think I went, ended up going back to the booth with one of the two of you, I don't remember which one, yeah. to kind of pitch some some general ideas of what we what we wanted to do with, especially the character creation system. Mm -hmm. uh, at the time, uh, Traveler was really big, mm -hmm. so we wanted to. So we were fans of Traveler, and so. we loved Traveler, but we hated the fact that in in Traveler, as you you know, tra the whole Traveler character creation is almost a game in itself. Yeah, but you but, can die. But, but then you die at the end. Right. <laughs> so, you know, we said. How do we do this so that it's accomplishes the same kind of thing, but you don't die in the right. process? And that's where the generation for the character creation came from. Where we worked this all out was was so hilarious at the time. Uh, we had driven, we'd come in two cars to Gen Con from Evansville, Indiana, uh, southern, very southern tip of Indiana. And well, at the time, Dave was also was the manager of a local uh, car rental agency, yeah. and they had a car at O'Hare, uh, and they had one of O'Hare's cars, and so so the idea was oh. we'll take two cars, um, we'll swap out at O'Hare and continue on to Gen Con. Mm. So we basically got a free rental car to drive to Gen Con. So we had two two rental cars going to Gen Con. Know, and on the way back, we would drive. One of us would drive one car. The other two would be in the other car, brainstorming, making notes, 
on how we were going to do this. Uh, and then we would stop. I mean, this is a fairly long trip. So we, we would stop, and one person would switch from that car well, into the guy. other car. You know. I was driving one car. Dave was driving the other. the other one. I and was going back I would alternate back and forth between cars and bring the other person up to date of, okay, here's what we came up with. <laughs> and then we'd brainstorm there. And then we'd stop, make the next stop, and he'd go over to the other car and do the same thing. And by the time we, re we returned to Evansville, we got back to Evansville, we had the rudiments of those three systems worked out. Oh, wow. I mean, so we were on such a tight deadline, we had to commit to things quickly. Um, so we got all the way back, all the way back to Evans. So by that time, we had a, had a good idea of where we were going. I mean, nothing was play tested, nothing was was laid out. We, you know, we just knew how. By then, we knew the approaches we were going to take to all three of those, uh, and we were shooting for something kind of different. Uh, you know, we we knew we wanted to capture in the character creation the same thing that Traveler captured in building your background, so that you actually had some feeling of where the character had come from, that there was some randomization of that so well, the characters, characters wouldn't just be, you know, put together exactly the way everybody wanted them. The you character's know, journey through yeah. Starfleet Academy. Through, through Starfleet Academy. Uh, so we did that. We worked out the basics of the uh, personal combat system, which was roughly based on grab ball at the time. Uh, a, you know, a square grid movement and... Uh, you know, a a uh, a lot of you know it was, it was war gaming influenced uh, considerably, but it was simple simplified down, uh, and then we worked out the uh, starship combat. And the starship combat, you know, we didn't want to do the same thing that everybody else had been doing. Uh, we didn't want to do uh, another Starfleet battles with counters and all of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And David came up with the idea, well, you know, we could do this two ways. We could do a role-playing situation where everybody is playing the person who's at their bridge station uh, and, you know, do this with allocating energy and, uh, you know, moving things around. Each person would have something to do uh, as part of combat turns, uh, but there would be no real tactical movement. It would all be role-playing. Uh, based on based on these sheets we had, which were the the uh, uh, layouts of the control panels, then uh, we would also do a tactical version of the game as well, uh, based on a hex grid. Uh, and from that point on, that stuff was Dave's baby. Uh, he was he was a you know as far as wargaming was concerned, he was brilliant. Uh, he came up with some systems that. Uh, nobody had ever heard of before, but really, really uh, came together for that. It was his idea originally to do the, the, the control panels with role-playing comment, which everybody everybody loved at FASA. FASA people really got into that idea. Uh, and then also to do the tactical. So that's kind of how we ended up dividing a lot of the work. Okay. Um, Greg ended up doing a, a lot of the number crunching because that's what he does best. Uh, David was doing the wargaming end of it, uh, which is what he did best, and I was doing, you know, backgrounds and characters and stuff like that. And then we would all get together and, and polish each other's stuff. Yeah. I think a lot of the, a lot of the character creation, medical systems, and that sort of thing, was pretty much my area that, mm -hmm. that I covered. Okay. Um, 
and I I pretty much pretty guy and I guy worked with me on the uh, character creation, um, and then uh, Dave and I worked on the uh, uh, the the personal combat system, mm-hmm. and which which was kind of funny in itself because uh, at one point Dave Dave kind of injured himself uh, testing uh, huh? dive rolls. Yeah, <laughs> wanted to get all the we wanted to get all the special moves that were in there. You know, and, and Captain Kirk's dive roll was you know, you know classic. I mean, it was a classic tuck, Star Trek tuck bit. and roll and come up shooting yeah. your phaser. And so and, that's so we had to get that in there. And David was actually trying to figure out, okay, how far do you go? How quickly does it move? Uh, you know, what can go wrong with it? And he injured his shoulder. <laughs> so, that is hilarious because I have to say, when we first, so when I when you know when I started getting back into the gaming and I ran uh, my, my, the first FASA Star Trek game I ran was, I don't know, only two years ago, right? Because I had gotten back into it after many, 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 many years. <laughs> but um, the, the, some of those maneuvers, like the flying tackle, that was, that was very popular in our first uh, session. So it, it was, it was, you know, we were trying more than anything. I think our singular goal with that game was to capture the feel of that original series. Uh, and I think that that's what had been missed in previous adaptations, previous efforts, was they were concentrating so much on the game end of it that yeah. they didn't concentrate enough on the Trek end of it. Mm-hmm. And for us, the Trek end of it was where everything was. That was where all the good stuff was. So we, anytime we could work something in that was just classically track, uh, we did so. That's great. Now, interestingly, we started writing this thing. I was the only one of the three of us who had a computer to write on. Oh. This is the early days, folks. This is, People this still is use typewriters on occasion. This is 81. Remember, remember what computers were out then. I oh, had yeah. a TRS-80, um, a Radio Shack TRS-80 Model 1 mm-hmm. with... Just a tape drive. I didn't have a disk drive. Um, the I could I couldn't even see lowercase on the screen. Uh, the printer was a dot matrix was a was a was their dot matrix printer that did print lowercase, and we were using the uh, Radio Shack uh, scripts at word processing. And this is how the first draft was written. Yeah, the the draft of those three those three systems that they wanted like right away. Ended right. up being done on this, um, so we turned this thing in. They loved the draft; they hated the presentation. <laughs> so, when you say they hated the presentation, what? No, no, no. They they hated what they hated, what they hated like. the they hated the the, the TRS eighty output. Oh, okay. Uh, gotcha. So they ended up sending Guy a uh, an Apple two uh, plus. Yeah, Apple two uh-huh. plus. They loaned him an Apple two plus to start writing the actual manuscript on because they were using apples for the typesetting and everything. And so we could actually save things on disk for them electronically that they could read. Yes. Yes. And okay. so we, so we retype the whole thing in the, in the apple uh, guy does. And, um, and then, uh, then it pretty much went from there. Yeah. They, they signed contract on it at that point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, David did all of our contract negotiation uh, yeah. because, quite honestly, he was the only one who could keep a straight face. Uh, well, and, he's, and he was, and he was our money man anyway, yes. and yeah. he was our he was our, our business man. 
I mean, by profession, I'm a scientist. I, uh, I, 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 I currently work in, uh, in, in, in a laboratory. Uh, I was, uh, oh, wow. QA manager for, uh, for a, a couple of different dairies for 30 years. So I'm a laboratory guy. I've yeah. always been a laboratory guy. And by that time, I was mostly, I was working at, the, at a hobby shop, which was specializing in gaming at that point, uh, and uh, was moving toward uh, basically doing games all the time, was moving away from, from having the, the regular job. Um, this was the thing that allowed me to do that for a while. Yeah, so uh, Dave was our business guy. So he, saw, he, he was one to negotiate the contract with FASA, and it was an unusual one. Um, at the time, most everybody who was doing game design work uh, was doing it for flat fees. You know, you would be paid so much for a particular project. Uh, and this one, we, we caught them at least desperate enough that we negotiated a royalty contract. Uh, and, you know, we took, we took less up front doing it. We did figured, get in advance. This is yeah, we did get which which we needed because we had to buy two more Apple twos, uh, <laughs> and uh, then we but but we took it we took it in advance uh, and uh, signed the contract to finish the thing within six months. Well, less uh, than that. No, it was four less than months. that, wasn't it? Beth, four months. Yeah, four. Yeah, all right, it was four actually months. about three months by that point. This would have yeah, been we September. Were, this would have been September. You're right, uh, but we had to finish. We had to finish it up, and then. Um, you know, we would receive royalties on sales. And we figured, you know, Dave figured, well, this is not too bad a deal here because this is Star Trek. It's going to have some legs. We figured it was going to be around a while. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was why we ended up doing it that way. And, and David negotiated the contract, which, again, would prove very interesting later. <laughs> now, I guess, so it sounds like you, you guys started working on this and you turned in your initial, um, some initial work before the contract was signed? Is that, is that yes. how it worked? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. wow. We, you know, we were, we were, you know, that was the agreement is that they could see the basics of where they wanted to go with it to make sure that this was something <laughs> they thought was going to fly. We were um, still an unknown quantity at that point. I mean, they didn't, they didn't know us from Adam. They never worked with us. They didn't know us. They didn't meet us until until Gen Con. So they didn't know us, and they didn't know if we could if we could actually produce anything or not. And they had a lot of money at stake here with this. The yeah. the royalties, the 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 uh, money that they were paying uh, for the the rights was not anywhere near as huge as something like that would be now. But it was, you know, it was enough that they were really, really scared that they were going to pour all the money that they had had gotten on their other hit games down a rat hole mm. uh, with this and not be able to produce anything. Uh, so it was, you know, it was kind of shaky for everybody, uh, and we accepted that and and went with that, uh, figuring, well, we were we were betting on being able to do something that they were going to be able to work with. Great. Uh, so did, did now did you did you work kind of directly with Jordan Wiseman because I know he he he's went on to many things since oh, yes. Jordan day. Wiseman and uh, and his partner at the time was uh, Ross Babcock. Okay, and yep. we worked with the two of them. They were kind of our first editors there. Okay. Really, they were the they were the they were our contacts with FASA uh, at the time. 
Um, but since they were in Chicago and we were in Evansville, Indiana, it was all long distance for the most part. At least those first, those, the, the work on the original game uh, was all pretty much long distance. And uh, go ahead. Were those was were those guys uh, Jordan and Ross? Were they Star Trek fans? Mm, they were peripherally Star Trek fans. Um, they were ga- war gamers. That was their their big okay. thing was war gaming. Um, at well, the time, remember they'd both come out of the Merchant Marines, right? Right. So, so they were definitely military or military okay. more military than than we were. You know, yeah, they, they were oriented toward that kind of thing. They played a lot of that kind of game. Uh, they had played uh, Starship, uh, the uh, Starfleet battles, uh, uh-huh. you know, as kind of as a war game. I mean, that was what you know, that was where where it was there, what they were kind of expecting it. Well, and their other big product was the uh, uh, the deck plans for uh, traveler ships. Yes, they had, they had several packages of Starship deck plans for traveler, mm-hmm. which is kind of what led them into the Star Trek project in the first place. Yeah. Uh, so they they had done a lot of traveler supplements and all of this kind of thing, and, and a great deal of it was combat oriented. Uh, nice. So we were you know we were always the uh, role playing end of this, and you know they working basically with with people who were mostly into the combat end of it. So that, so basically, so start this that Star Trek the role playing game was was Fasa's first role playing true role playing game product. Is that true? yes? Yeah. Okay. It was the first first role playing thing that they had done. Uh, they owned the rights for both uh, a Starship combat board game and for the the role playing game, uh, and they were, you know, working mostly on the on getting the role playing game out, uh, and it would include the Starship combat as part of it. Well, they had to have some product approved. It didn't have to be in print by January one, but it had to be approved by. Uh, Paramount by mm-hmm. by early January in order to lock in the uh, their their uh, contract with with Paramount right. on Star Trek. So they and, and of course at this point they'd already sunk a bunch of money into it anyway. So they needed to get the product out as well. So we turned in the product. We turned in our manuscript to them the uh, right at the first of, of January, and I believe they had it they had it through editing. And typeset and actually printed by what? March, April? Yeah, the, the game I think came out in April, didn't it? Something to that April, effect. April, something like that. I know we were at a, we were at a gaming convention. They set us. They shipped it to. They us. set us to Omaha, Nebraska, for a Star Trek convention, which is where they premiered the game. And the first box, in fact, we didn't even hadn't even seen the final product <laughs> until we got to Omaha. <laughs> and we get they they flew us over or out to Omaha for this convention, and as luck would have it, the two guests at the convention were uh, uh, Walter Koenig and uh, B. Joe Trimble. So we got to meet both of them. Well, and let's see, yeah, yeah Walter was there, B. Joe mm-hmm. was there. Mm-hmm. Um, Those were the two main. Yeah, they were the primaries. Yeah, they were the primary well, guests. We'll, we'll get to that because that's 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 down the road. Uh, but uh, so so we get we get our lay eyes on the game at that at that convention and it was a, it was a fun convention. We got to hang out with B. Joe especially, uh, oh, 
and she was a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed spending the time with her and swapping stories. And she, she would told us all these old, old stories about, you know, the days in track and, yeah, and uh, and her friendship with Forrest Ackerman, and I it was it was a yeah, lot. Yeah, John had made it to the convention, so the last day there'd been some mess up with she was she was one of the keynote speakers, and there'd been some mess up with her reservations, and she didn't have anywhere to stay the last day of uh, the convention, last night of the convention. So she ended up staying with us with, with oh really my <laughs> wife, my wife and I, and and you know, wow, <laughs> oh, that was. No. Have you have you uh, there yet? What shape? No. no. Have you seen her since then? I haven't seen her in a no, long time. No. Not since not since the the Trek days. There we we yeah. met at several other conventions and things during that period, uh, but I I haven't haven't run across her since, or, or I don't really correspond with her currently. John and I saw uh, Bijo and uh, her husband uh last year in september it was uh the 50th anniversary of star trek they were up mm. in at the smithsonian um to give a talk um about star trek and then during that same day um they showed the uh the um the man trap um, mm -hmm. and, and, rod, they, and rod roddenberry was there also so. yeah oh yeah yeah, that uh, Bijo Bijo more than anybody, I think, drove uh, the the fandom and and kept kept things alive. Uh, I credit her very heavily with uh, keeping Star Trek fandom alive. Well, and, and uh, you also have to consider that uh, one of the primary resource materials in writing the game, from my standpoint, was my copy of the Concordance. Yeah. Okay. It, it, I had a copy of Star Trek Concordance. Yeah, she had done several several uh, versions of it uh, as fan publications, and then Ballantine, at, at the the peak of all the Star Trek mm. publishing, um, did that along with the uh, Franz Joseph um, technical technical manual. manual. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but the Concordance was practically everything that was ever referred was to in an episode, every person. It was the, uh, it was our Bible. Location. It was it was the Bible that we worked from. Uh, to make sure everything was authentic. Great. So, um, did uh, before it went to print, did Paramount or um, Gene Roddenberry give any kind of input in, into the game? We would for, we were not there for it, but my our understanding from from FASA, FASA got this thing, and to some extent, it wasn't the it wasn't as game oriented as they really had you know had been pushing. Uh, there was not as much, uh, as much combat, as much conflict, because we had done a, you know, we had made our minds up very, very early that conflict resolution in this game should be conflict, not necessarily combat, mm -hmm. that we didn't want the episodes, we didn't want the, the adventures and things like that to center on shooting your way out of them. Uh, so, this took them a little by surprise. It's the first time that, that somebody had turned it in this way. But we did it very consciously, and we're very focused on that. Um, and as it turns out, that's what got the license uh, renewed for them. Uh, because yeah. we I, turned it I was in. told later uh, uh, by Major Roddenberry uh, that when Gene first saw the game, uh, he looked at it, and and you know he was part of the approval process on that. And he and Paramount were kind of at odds a little bit on approvals, but he still was involved in this. And both Paramount and Roddenberry 
looked at this and said, okay, this is this is the spirit of Star Trek. We're, we'll, we'll go with this. Uh, and that's what got it through, was the fact that we didn't concentrate on the combat side. And, and FASA didn't have enough time to stick their fingers in it. They really couldn't. They didn't they, have, they, there wasn't you know, time. They pretty much had to, had to submit what we gave them <laughs> to Paramount. Right. And Paramount took one look at it and said, yeah, this is exactly what we had in mind. Go with it. Wow. They didn't. They didn't stick their fingers in it either. What was published was essentially pretty much what we presented, what we wrote. Very, very little change. Yes. That must have been pretty. You know, gave you a lot of satisfaction to realize that. You know what you put together right off the it, bat. It was did. By, mm -hmm. It was. It was quite a while before we found out uh, how much sentiment there was at, at Paramount approvals and, and, and with, with the Roddenberry uh, involving the game because we were not involved in any of the negotiations with Paramount. We never met with anyone from Paramount during any of this period. Uh, all of that was handled through through FASA. And, and, and Jordan, Jordan liked to keep us separate and liked to keep us kind of in the dark as mm -hmm. far as, as Paramount was concerned and, and vice versa. On the other hand, he wanted us to have a very, very strong presence among the fans, mm -hmm. uh, and so they sent us when this game, when the game came out, they started sending us all over the country to, to Trek conventions uh, oh. to promote the game. Now, so what was that like? What was the reception? Oh, it was this. This. This is the next story. Yeah, they sent we us. Had such, we had such fun. Probably that summer, you know, probably about a month or so after after the game, after the game was was released. Uh, they sent us to a convention in um, uh, St. Louis, and, uh, and this was—I um, think it was—it just it was called TrekCon at the time, something like that. I don't and remember it was, what. It was the big Midwestern Trek convention. Yeah, it was. You know? It was at the Henry VIII uh, Hotel. Yeah. in 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 St. Louis, and um, they dragged us over. We brought uh, we brought Mike uh, Ford with us, John M. Ford, and um, we met. Uh, I think Jordan and um, uh, Forrest. What was Forrest's last name? Brown. Forrest Brown of Martian Metals, because Martian Metals was going to be doing the Star Trek miniatures for the game. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And they're doing so, ship miniatures and also doing character figure miniatures. Yeah. So we uh, met. Uh, so we met Forrest there, and that one of the deals that they set up at that convention was they came up with this promotion idea of doing a uh, raffle of the two guests at this convention were again Walter Koenig and Jimmy Doolin. So they came up with this grand idea that we would run a couple of games with the stars and they would raffle off positions in the game wow. uh, in order to in order to raise some money for charity. Cool. And um, and so we ended up with two different games, one game with featuring uh, uh, Koenig and the other featuring Doolin. And we once we heard who this was going to be, um, Greg and I just couldn't resist. Uh, what we ended up doing was we ended up recreating the bar fight from Trouble with Tribbles. <laughs> Since both Dewan and Koenig were both in that scene. Um, so it was it was a heck of a lot of fun. We create we came up with the scenario, uh, tinkered with it a little bit, and then the first game was with Dewan. 
and wow. Mike Ford ended up uh, playing the, uh, the 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 role of um, uh, Koloth. Yes, the uh, the 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 Klingon uh, yeah. sub commander who triggers the fight by yeah. insulting uh, Scotty and the Enterprise and Kirk. And I you swear, you played that whole scene out with yes, oh yes, oh, I swear, oh, wow. I swear, <laughs> Mike remembered Koloth's lines perfectly, yeah, as I would expect him to do. He and was buried. Doohan remembered the lines perfectly <laughs> after all those years, and the two of them recited those lines absolutely perfectly. To, t- to, t- to trigger the scenario. I was going to get, going to give Dewan a, a cheat sheet on it, and I think I insulted him a little bit. It was <laughs> kind of like, no, that scene I, w- I will not forget. We're, we're fine with that. And he delivered, delivered the, 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 the lines just dead on, exactly the way they had been delivered originally. Uh, awesome. And ro- he role-played his way through that whole, that whole scenario with us, you know, throwing Klingons through through glass windows and uh, tossing them over the bar and sliding people yeah. down the bar. Now, the uh, the way we'd set this up, Mike was playing Koloth. Guy was essentially game mastering. I was coaching. My job was to coach the star, and then Dave was coaching the other players. So we had the other players uh, in the game playing both um, Federation personnel and. The Klingon Marines that were in the uh, in the bar, and we were coaching mostly because the people who who were playing yeah, nobody played it. They before. had not had not uh, had an opportunity to play it before. It hadn't been out for a long time, right. you know, for a long time. Uh, and so we're working our way through this game, and they got into it. Oh yeah, <laughs> just, everybody was. They just, it. they just everybody just fell into into this. It's everybody's favorite scene, anyway. Now, you know. So. Now that was an interesting game, but then came uh, Koenig's game. Yes. And that one was even more fun because we we went through the whole whole rigmarole, and I think Guy Guy did uh, uh, Scotty's lines for that one. Yes, and uh, we got into the scenario, and we're we're they're they're duking it out and having a lot of fun. And I'm coaching Koenig, and at one point uh, Koenig finally trounces the guy that he was he was fighting with, and I said, "Okay, what do you want to do now?" He says, "Well, he looked over and he saw." Uh, one of the Federation security guards or guys rolling around on the floor with uh, with a Klingon Marine. And he says, I want to help my man out over here. I said, OK, what do you want to do? He says, well, can I grab the Klingon by the by the scruff of the pa- uh, scruff of the neck and the seat of the pants? I said, roll it. Yeah. Well, he rolls a die and he did, did good enough. We figured what the hell anyway. <laughs> so he said, yeah, OK, you've got this. You, you've pulled this guy out of the fight. Uh, what do you want to do? I want to throw him over the bar. Okay, and roll it. And he does. Oh, he did. <laughs> so the security guy that he that this Klingon had been fighting with thought this was such a grand idea. He runs around the bar, grabs the Klingon before the Klingon could, could recover his senses, and throws him back. <laughs> and then Chekhov picks the guy up and throws him back over the bar again. <laughs> This was this was the beginning of of you know something that became a tradition with us. Uh, this this was the beginning of, of the Klingon Airborne Marine Corps. Uh, 
And uh, if they showed up several other times in in convention adventures and things like this, it was just, you know, the the idea that if you you have a Klingon and you can can throw him somewhere, all the better. Uh, And so it was was very Trek. We thought it was a very Trek thing to do. That's Uh, when you knew that that you wrote the the combat system was, was written perfectly for Trek. Uh, that's what it, that's what's the whole idea. That was the whole idea. Yep. But that that was some of the most fun that we ever had. Uh, Walter Koenig is a nut. Uh, when he got into this, he really threw himself into it. Yeah, he had a great time. Uh, Doing is such a master. Uh, his portrayal is so ingrained in him at that point that uh, you know it was just he was reacting to everything as if he were Scotty. Uh, and it was, you know, it was much more, uh, more fun and more role playing than I really expected to get out of two guys who, who basically were being dragged into this for a, for a, a, a stunt, you know, and kind of like, oh God, here we go again, kind of thing. No, they didn't right. approach it that way at all. They had a grand time, and so did we. That is awesome. It's 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 too bad. I. Uh, you couldn't have had that videotaped. Um, oh, I wish we had. Yeah, I do too. Oh, I wish we had. Or, or even just audio. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, we were making stuff up as we went along on most of most all of this. So, uh, yeah. And who knew, you know, that this was going to be a thing. Uh, so, but we, we I, I don't think I will ever forget that weekend. It was just the most magical thing. Um, I also met uh, Major Barrett Roddenberry for the first time. During, during that weekend, uh, I gave her a copy of the game to give to Gene, and then I actually ran into Gene very briefly in an elevator. And it's one of those things, you get on board an elevator, here he is. Uh-huh. You know, what do you say to Gene Roddenberry? You know, it's just kind of like, so I, I kind of timidly introduced myself and told him, you know, who I was and what I was doing. And he said, oh, yes. He said, we, we saw some stuff from that. It looked very nice. Uh, and I said, well, I gave Majel a copy of the game earlier today to give you. He says, I can't wait to take a look at that. That was the last time I ever got a chance to meet Gene. Mm-hmm. I never ran into him again. I ran to Majel a number of times. Majel mm-hmm. and my wife became kind of uh, buddies at conventions. And uh, so they would, he, he, she would hang around with, with, with Majel on occasion. And uh, the so that, that happened at a Gen Con while Guy and I were doing uh, – teaching game masters game mastering seminars right and barbara was kind of at loose ends so she ended up hanging out with majel at the at and the dealers she was she was running uh the the booth for all the the trek memorabilia was being done by the roddenberry's company uh it was lincoln enterprises at that time uh, which later became roddenberry enterprises Mm -hmm. uh but uh she was she was there making public appearances and signing autographs and things like that for that and had um Oh, what's his name? I can't think of the actor's name. The the guy that played Mr. Holm from Yes. She no. Had, yeah, um, that was much that was later, uh, but yeah. He was he was uh he was at the at that Gen Con as well. Yes. And the two of them were at that at the booth. But uh I didn't know at the time. Uh, I'd never had a chance to to talk to Rodberry again after giving him that directly. And I didn't know for many years what his reaction had been. Um uh, and when we found out later, you know, after our end of Star Trek was pretty much done, it was it was kind of a revelation. And we'll we'll talk to you about that. I'm sure you've got other conv- other questions to ask before that. That's great. 
yeah, so that was the one the the first release when you uh, were doing those two uh, role playing games uh, with um, James Doohan and Walter Koenig. So that was the the first editions at the box set. Yeah, that was the the box set which had uh, the both the role playing and, and the Starship Combat all one box and the deck plans De- and, and the extra deck plans yeah, and things like that. That was the bi- yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. What you're holding there, by the way, the top adventure on that Ghosts of Conscience is, for my money, my favorite Star Trek adventure. It only the, the favorite thing I ever wrote for the for the game. It was the only thing that. Uh, it was the only place it ever appeared was in, in this extra book yeah. that was in the first edition box set. Uh, and I've always been kind of sorry about that, but uh, that never got reprinted anywhere or redone anywhere. But it's my absolute single favorite thing I ever wrote for Star Trek. I, I, I need to I need to run that one. So the, I, I ran, who wrote um, In the Presence of My Enemies? Was that, that one was yours, was it? No, it was I, David. I didn't, I didn't do... That was David's. I, I Guy and Dave uh, did most of the the the, the games. I I kind of kibitzed on them, but I was so tied up in creating the character creation and and the rest of those systems that I really didn't didn't focus on the scenario. Greg was our systems guy. Uh, I was mostly our 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 you know oriented toward the role playing end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I edited, I think, everything in that book. But the uh, yeah. I, I wrote Ghosts of Conscience. Guy I believe wrote, David wrote. Guy uh, wrote most of my enemies. As I guy wrote most of the scenarios, though. Uh, guy Guy ended up right pretty much writing most of the scenarios. Yeah. Whenever you saw things like uh, um, ex- examples of character creation or uh, you know little story pieces in the books and stuff like that, that's all me. Okay. Yeah. All right. But yeah. I'm, so- I'm a numbers guy. I've always been very, very into math uh, probabilities. Uh, you know, I took statistics in college and the whole nine yards. And we, we've always kind of laughed that uh, uh, that whenever we're designing any kind of a system, anytime we need the dice to do something, Okay. I can make it do it. Greg's a simulations wonk. You gotta understand. Nice. He's a systems guy. And because of this, uh, you know, over the years, he's been the one out of our group who developed most of the game systems and things we actually worked with. Uh, you know, that you know, if there was a, a you know, had something had to have some sort of balance done to it or anything like that, that was Greg. Uh, he's the only person I know that at one point had Three competing uh, generic universal miniatures game systems out on the market. Uh, you had three wow. competing ones all out the same time, uh, and uh, was a uh, uh, origins origins award nominee for uh, the uh, uh, the one that that we released uh, in our later company uh, for uh, Budget Battlefield. Uh, he was he, he got an Origins Award uh, nomination for that one, but he had two others out at the same time from two other competing companies, all of which he had developed, <laughs> and all of which were different. <laughs> so that's great. That's, now, that's what his thing. What were those called? Um, let's see. One of them was it was just called it was just called generic. Um, no, it was called it was called Universal um, Miniatures uh, Universal Miniatures Rules. And it was remember. that was one that was from 
Um, well, uh, one of them wasn't one of them, at least one of them wasn't a, a miniatures game. It was a uh, role playing. I yeah. was redoing redoing uh, the system for uh, Crunchy Frog. That was it, yeah. which Crunchy ended Frog. up being um, ended up being called what was it? Uh, Paradigm Shift. Paradigm Shift, and um, this in, uh, this Universal Miniatures set uh, was a situation where he one of our uh, one of our acquaintances had come to us. Uh, they had this hole in their publication schedule, and had gotten a manuscript for a Universal Miniatures game. And they got the manuscript. Don't couldn't use it. You don't remember one this one? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. I just the reason I do is because I was just reading about it recently. Uh, and uh, they had this hole for a Universal Miniatures game, and so he ended up um, taking a look at that manuscript and couldn't make heads or tails out of it. Uh, the guy who, who who was publishing it, uh, and so he and Greg got into a conversation about things, and Greg started, well, you know, you could do this. Uh, you know, and you know, tweak that over here. This would work this way. And over the course of a you know couple of conversations in Gen Con, he ended up ended up uh, contracted to do that, and he ended up doing that one as well. He did that completely on his own. But all three of these were actually released or in release at the same time, uh, which was hilarious. Uh, you know, so, well, okay, I think you got this this particular side of the industry tied up, Greg. That's fine. <laughs> That's great. So I guess so. Um... Um, Greg, you would be responsible for the percentile dice, like the main mechanic of the of the Star Trek role playing game, the percentile yep. dice mechanic. That was entirely mine. <laughs> what, that was my you, whole concept. What can you tell us about that? I actually, re I really like that the percentile mechanic, and uh, Call of Cthulhu Seventh Edition uses that too. I really like it. What was your kind of thought going into using? the percentile dice mechanic? Well, just the simple fact that percentiles are easier to understand. And the nice thing about percentiles, and it's it's been a bug with me for a long time, is when people, does a lot of game designers create uh, game systems, they don't take into account the probability distributions. They think, well, I can just, you know, throw... X number of dice and get these numbers, but they don't take into account the bell curves of of the of the system, the way the dice rolls work. Percentiles, on the other hand, is a flat distribution. You have equal probability of rolling any number in the in the system, so you can do whatever you want. If you want a character to have a fifty five percent chance of success at a task. You roll fifty-five. It's it's just so yeah. so simple and so elegant that it that it just works perfectly. The thing about that worked for me the most was you know when you're doing bell curves with three die six anything like this, uh, you are you have a fixed bell curve. If you're doing working with a percentile system, then everything is in buried in the system itself in terms of how how probabilities shift. Uh, and Greg's approach to that was just really strong, uh, uh, you know, that we could build in behind the scenes uh, pretty much any probability slide we wanted to just by adjusting those numbers uh, for things that were happening. Uh, and it b gave the game master a lot more flexibility. So that's why we ended up using percentiles. Yeah, and what I found, too, when I when I ran the, the 
the first game a couple of years ago, two of the players had never, they were Star Trek fans, but they had never, ever played a role-playing game. And it, 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 the, the, the system was, I think, fairly easy to pick up compared to, I think, some other systems. And, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty easy to, easy to grasp, okay, my skill in this computer systems operation is 60, and I need to roll that or under to succeed. I mean, it's fairly straightforward. Yeah, it, and people people understand people who aren't gamers understand yeah. you have a sixty percent chance of doing something better than they understand. Uh, you've got to roll under eight on this bell curve, yeah, uh, or or whatever. So you know that that in itself, I think we were trying to aim not just at gamers; we were trying to aim at Trek fans, mm -hmm. uh, and we want Trek fans to be able to pick this thing up and who'd never done role playing, who hadn't done Dungeons and Dragons, wouldn't be interested in Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Uh, we want Trek fans to pick this up and immediately be able to get into being people in the Star Trek universe. Uh, so we want the game system to kind of go away and behind uh, that. We wanted to concentrate on on the role-playing aspect on it and let the systems play themselves uh, out and not be you know in the way. And that, that's where we went from it. Curious on that, did, did you ever get feedback or was there any data to kind of support like, did you know whether or not, like, who, who, like, who, what were the demographics of the people that played the game? Did you know? Did you, did the game, and in effect, do that? Did you bring in Star Trek fans that hadn't played RPGs before? You know, very much so. Um, again, Fasten never wanted to share numbers with us, but because we had a royalty contract, they kind of had to. Uh, you know, we 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 kind of knew about that, and yeah. Fasa was pushing this into bookstores. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons had gone hardcover into bookstores. Uh, they wanted to be able to get this thing into bookstores alongside Trek books. Yeah. And from that, we discovered that, you know, the success of the game in that environment uh, told us a lot about the fact that we were reaching people who were primarily Trek fans, not primarily gamers. Uh, a lot of people bought the game who probably never played the role-playing end of it at all. Uh, because of the Trek flavor. And a lot of people got into playing their very first role-playing game through that. Uh, and we kept running into those. When we would go to Trek conventions, we'd be talking to Trek people. Right. Uh, and the orientation there, everybody you know, was kind of like, they didn't want to talk game side. They wanted to talk, uh, hey, you know, my character got to do this, and I got to go to this place, and I got to interact with this character. And that, for me, was the most interesting thing about it uh, was that uh, everybody wanted to be part of the Star Trek universe. I did. I mean, you know, from day one in that, I wanted to belong. I, I knew that I was born out of the wrong time period, that, you know, I should have been aboard that starship. Uh, I always thought that, uh, you know, the reason that the uh, Enterprise during the original series never had a fixed uh person who, who was the security chief. And I thought, that's, that's a natural position, you know, but there was never a fixed person who was the security chief. That was me. That's the job I wanted uh, uh, there. I wanted to be that guy. So uh, being security chief on the enterprise is something along the lines of, you know, being the guy who holds the target for uh, uh, William Tell. But still, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I...
that's what I wanted to be. And so I, I was very gratified when I discovered going to Trek conventions that that's what people really want to do. They want to be someone in the Star Trek universe. And, you know, we were selling the game to people who, who cared not about uh, role-playing games. They were cared about role-playing. They cared about living in that universe. Which kind of led into one of the other design parameters of the game itself. Um, one of the failings that I've always noticed, and I noticed early on in uh, products that were tied into movies or uh, TV series or whatever, is there's always the natural impulse, let's give them, let's let them play the characters on the show or the movie. Um, you saw that very heavily in in the the James Bond role playing game. You saw it very heavily in the uh, uh, Indiana Jones. And my philosophy on Star Trek was, yeah, let's give them the characters so that they can be interacted with, but let's let them play their own characters. Don't force them into playing because ultimately that means that one player gets to play the big Kahuna. And all the rest of the players basically get to to run around in circles and 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 worship the one player. This was something that Facet kind of never really got about this. Well, neither did uh, TSR you know, and neither TSR. Um, that they never really got that that you know people wanted to to be people who lived in the universe. Yeah. They all thought that everybody wanted to be Kirk. Everybody wanted to be Spock. Everybody wanted to be these people. Mm -hmm. And I found that you know yeah that was fun for yeah. a session or two, but what really kept people in the game was being able to build their own stories within the universe. Uh, people, you know, came up with their own ships. Uh, they came up with, you know, their own backgrounds, their their whole history of what happened to them in there. Uh, there's still people who are writing these uh, long uh, sagas, basically, about their ship. And they're very, very... Uh, focused on on this to them this is all very very important uh and i, I kind of felt like that that was that was a piece of data that we got from this uh where that we had we had made a right decision uh in there that we want that people wanted to be themselves or at least somebody in the star trek universe well i, th I think i have a kind of a, a weird instinct mm -hmm. for this kind of thing anyway um a really good example of 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 my my strange gaming publishing instinct is they were trying to come up with a packaging scheme for for how to sell the adventures and they didn't want to go with the usual at the time you know throw it in a ziploc bag put a header on it and hang it on a board because they needed to be able to put it in game or in bookstores as well so it had to be shrink wrapped Mm -hmm. And they were trying to figure out, okay, how do we package this? And I said, and I looked at it, and we we had made a trip up to Chicago, and we're uh, and and we're spending the uh, spending the day with them up there, and we were talking about, okay, how you know what do we do here? And I said, well, it's simple, we take a a, a folder concept, just you know with a with a with a with a, a two two panel folder, fold up the bottom to create pockets. Put the adventures in there, close it, shrink wrap it. You can put a hole in it for, for the hang tab if you need to hang it, but otherwise it's self-contained. And you can slide it right onto a bookshelf next to books. And yeah. and they looked at me 
and said, why didn't we think of that? <laughs> they were war gamers. They, were, they, they knew how yeah. games were marketed. They knew yeah. how games were put yeah. out. But they didn't, you know, get the ideas sometimes that, you know, that people were buying this stuff who weren't gamers. Yeah. Uh, and they were going to do this. So you know, uh, I always thought of that as being, you know, Greg's Trapper Keeper. That was the, you know, yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's how they were, how they this, were designed with the, with the and whole. This led, and this led David to, uh, to, to christen me the Vice President of Crazy Ideas. Vice President in Charge of Crazy Ideas, which is official title, yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, and, and, but the funny thing is, most of my crazy ideas actually worked. Um, they did. Another one of my crazy ideas was the... Um, uh, the tricorder package that they did with the, oh, with the yeah. big deal. Yes, I, and, have, uh, I have that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and I also came up with you know a phaser that a phaser card that had the wheel in it that that would and FASA. Once I proposed that idea to them, they loved it. They took that idea and ran with it. They ended up making several little mini games yeah. using wheels. those things with yeah. those wheels with too. The wheels. Those all came out of one session we had over a weekend yeah. at at, at uh, uh, Chicago, uh, staying with, with George Wiseman. But I just have weird ideas sometimes <laughs> yeah. like that, and they and they generally tend to pan out a lot. Greg is Greg is somebody who can who can think at a at a, a ninety degree angle uh, from everything else, and he he saved us any number of times uh, when we would get into a box and think, well, this is the only way this can be done, and it isn't working. Uh, and he was like, no, uh, you could do this, and it's entirely nuts. Yeah, but you know it worked. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, that, that's, that's where that all came from, though. Is Greg, Greg's approach to stuff was always a little out of kilter with everything everybody else was doing, and it just, it just made stuff work. It, I, it's funny because as you're going through that, I I I, re, I can remember going into the stores and seeing the Thaza products lined up and and the really nice packaging um it was it was always a treat to save up enough money to be able to go and find one and take it home because i the, the other i think benefit of it even if you didn't play the game for star trek fans is you know it was one of the few licensed products outside of the the novels mm -hmm. that really filled in the star trek universe um in those early days, we had a lot more input into the game at all levels, yeah. because you know we were what we were what they had. We were the, we were the, the the creative team that they that they had, and so and also because we were pushy, uh, and and would continue to you know what you need to do now, you know this kind of thing, which was not always necessarily uh, welcomed, but it was mm -hmm. you know, at least listened to sometimes. Uh, but it, we, we had a lot of input into stuff that, generally speaking, at least especially now, uh, would be done by uh, development team or marketing team or, or this kind of thing. Uh, we we got got away with a lot more of that, especially in that first edition. Now, uh, there was a second edition that came out um, sh shortly. Uh, I think maybe a year later. Um, uh, yeah, actually about a year and a half, I guess, something like that. Mm -hmm. There was a second edition game. Um, with the release of all of this, and I got to go back and, and touch on something from, from first edition. We were, we, you know, very early on knew that we were going to want to do something more than just Federation characters. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And as I say, I had been roommates with John M. Ford. Uh, Mike wrote the uh, uh, two really excellent Star Trek novels, uh, one in particular, The Final Reflection, centered around uh, the Klingon Empire prior to the Voyages of the Enterprise. Several characters from that appeared there in their youth, um, but there, you know, it was it was one of the few Star Trek novels that really didn't center around the Enterprise. Uh, but in that, he had set a lot of background for the Klingon Empire, and I got a chance to look at the book, the you know, the manuscript on it when he finished it. Uh, and it was accepted, uh, you know, soon thereafter by Pocket Books, and we decided we really wanted to base our Klingons on what he had done, because this was, it was so this was rich. around the time this was around the time of that that, that uh, St. Louis convention, right? Yeah, and so we, we, were, we out, were planning the Klingon supplement. At that we time. hashed out a lot of that Klingon supplement at that convention, yeah. and it's all Mike. based on his book and his notes, his original notes for the book. A lot of a lot of stuff that didn't even make it into the into the book itself. Um, as a matter of fact, Greg and Dave and I are all characters in Final Reflection. Uh, the last battle, the last battle sequence where the, the Klingon battle cruiser is taking on the other Klingons, and uh, the Captain Kren, the, the, the protagonist of the thing, uh, is addressing his bridge crew. Uh, we're all members of that bridge crew as Klingons. Uh, there's uh, Lieutenant Cleemore, which is B. Uh, you know, there is uh, Lieutenant Craig, which is Greg here, uh, and... Uh, the uh, Lieutenant Keypool, Ensign uh, Keypool, Ensign Keypool was, was was David. So we're we're actually characters in the book because uh, we were working with him on, on the the uh, Klingon supplement at the time. Uh, but that became for me that that was so much fun. I really enjoyed the book so much, and his background for the Klingons was wonderful. But then later they undid almost everything in the continuity uh, when they did did uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. Yeah. Uh, the the you know, at that at that point the uh, well, they unraveled part of it there and they unraveled the rest of it in uh, Enterprise. In Enterprise, well, yeah, yeah. That too. Uh, but it was uh, uh, you know, but a lot of fans really liked that and actually liked the background that um, Mike had done better than you know, what they eventually ended up with. Um, you know, they, his was written at the time where they had just introduced Worf, uh, and we got our, and, and the movie, first movie was out, and it was just in, in introducing the whole idea of the ridged forehead Klingons, and we had to explain that, yeah. uh, you know, why there was all of that. And so we came up with the idea that the Klingons were producing half-human, half-Klingon, uh, genetically manipulated people uh, who would think more like their enemies and would, you know, be able to interface with their enemies better. Uh, and that's where all of these... Actually, the, and actually no, Wrath of Khan had just come out. Wrath of Khan, yeah. Uh, with, because with, because I remember sitting at uh, at the Omaha convention with B. Joe talking about, right. uh, talking about uh, yeah. her experience with, uh, uh, with the director, uh, uh, Irv Kushner, wasn't it? Yeah, and being, and being on and, the set. And being on the big, set and... Big, and uh, 
thing that they had there. She was she was she acted in, a, in an advisory capacity on that movie uh, to a small degree, mm-hmm. and she was telling us some of the stories about about that about her experience with uh, Wrath of Khan. So that was right at about the same time. Yeah, the uh, but that's that's how all that came to pass. That that really influenced first the the first series of of books. Um, when we got to the Romulans, there was no fan-based agreement on what the Romulans were like. And so we kind of had that one got made up out of whole cloth. So Guy and I pretty much, we pretty much ran with that yeah. one. Yeah, that one's, that one's made up out of whole cloth. Yeah. Uh, but the Klingon stuff was all based on Final Reflection and the, uh, uh, the people who were entered in that. The second edition, second edition was um, Fass's attempt to polish first edition and to make first edition um, more palatable to hardcore gamers. Mm. Okay. We had an editor there who basically took our manuscript and rewrote it almost 100%. Uh, There's a lot of our background stuff in there, uh, but the game systems got completely reworked so that they were um, much more number crunchy and much less, much more wargamey and much less freeform. Uh, so that's where we got into all of the, um, the what I call the acronym period, where every every game system had an acronym, or every game system was had some uh, phrase that described it, which was like you know six syllable words and, and this kind of thing. Um, second edition was was a lot more polished than first edition, but it was also a, you know oriented more toward the game people than it was oriented toward toward uh, Trek fans. Now there was so the original first edition was the box set, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And there were two box sets. There was the set that both the inner, both the uh, uh, ship combat game and the role playing game came in, and then it was a box set that was just the role playing game. Well, now the the okay. box set, the first box set was first edition. Yeah. But mm-hmm. then they did box sets for the other two, or for the second edition as well. Yes. Uh-huh. But the box set for the first edition is the one that came with the the main book, uh, yeah. and everything was in the book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For second edition, uh, our editor John Wheeler decided that it should be broken down into the three different books. So he did the three books for the role play for the uh, role playing end of it, and then mm-hmm. there was an entirely separate game almost for the for the for the yeah. Starship. You know, David was still very heavily involved in that. Uh, yeah. But uh, largely because nobody else could figure out how his how his, his uh, Starship's creation systems worked, uh, yeah. so nobody nobody else wanted to take that on without him. Uh, it was very simple, but most people didn't know what, what was behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was actually behind it, and I'll reveal the secret. I'm sure other people have told that over the years too. The the Starship combat systems and how the the weapons broke down and how we created you know the different weapon types, different engine types, and all that was all based uh, largely on a rework of White Dwarf's uh, Monster Mark ser- uh, system. No, no, that was not Dave. That was that was John. John brought that into it. That's the one thing that John brought into the system that uh, in the second oh, edition. The, the second edition. That, that, I, that I definitely did agree with and I, I really liked was his balancing system. Dave just kind of threw the ships together for first edition out of whole cloth and... You know, if it felt right, that's what it was. 
but when they wanted the actual Starship combat game so that they could do some play balance, they needed a way to play balance it. And so John Wheeler came, brought in the Monster Mark system. Yeah, with attack, attack and defense values and things yeah. like that for everything, which is mm-hmm. which is you know how that all got balanced. And then we had to make it work for all of the first edition game, uh, first edition ships. Yeah, <laughs> it was. They didn't want us to leave any of the first edition ships out or change them. You know, change the stats on them. So we had to make the second edition, which was much larger. Uh, actually justify all that and work with all of those original ships. Uh, we, we drove David nuts, uh, <laughs> basically, with that. Uh, and, that's second, where, and that's where we discovered the uh, David's uh, primary flaw in the whole system. Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, when he developed the ships, he got the math a little wrong, and instead of calculating ship volume, he ended up calculating ship area instead. So the numbers are off by about a, a, a power of, of whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, it worked. I mean, it, it was, worked, st- it was but, still, it's still comparable. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't, wasn't super realistic. Yeah. Let's uh, put it that way. And, and, and it drove everybody nuts when they tried to do like mass displacements on the ships and oh, God, it didn't yes. work. <laughs> And it's like, well, you know, if if David had had you know asked for my math input, then then we'd probably figured it out and got it done. But it, but that you know, I was busy with the other stuff, so I I didn't didn't end up. So with we that had to go back and patch that for all yeah. of the Starship recognition books. And yeah, it, it it made for an interesting time of of kind of fudging numbers a lot. Uh, but. Uh, you were asking other things about second edition. Well, I guess I was, I, yeah, I was trying to uh, kind of think in my mind the actual books, that the core game book. So it was, the second edition was only the box set that had the three soft cover books inside, right? Um, right. Yes. Yeah, the, okay. the, the, blue, the light blue covers. Light. Right. So there, there was no other, um, because the first edition had one Irish. rule book that had everything in it, plus the adventure book. Um, mm. Second edition, it was always the three books. There wasn't any. There wasn't one that had like the rules combined, ever in the second edition, right? No, uh-uh. no. Well, by, that, by that time, the the Starship Combat we pulled. They pulled out the uh, role playing version of the Starship Combat entirely. Right from that with the with the uh, the. The ship consoles, and yeah. the ship consoles and stuff. They ripped that out of it entirely, uh, and then pulled the uh, combat system out as a separate game. Right, right. They, they, did. they did. They did. Put, they did do two box sets: the basic edition, which was just the three core rule books, and then they had a deluxe version that included the starship combat yeah, book as stuck well. Yeah, right. stuck that in there. Mm-hmm. But it was a separate rule book and everything. Yeah. It was uh, okay. Well, and they had the and they had the the boxed game of the uh, of the starship combat game, which which came with all of the the miniature or the the counters and and the map, yeah. the star map, and the and the and the ship combat rules. Um, and then, like you said, they did the deluxe package. Which had both the role playing game and the Starship Combat game, basically everything from the two. Yeah. But they, but of course, they didn't have the ship uh, uh, deck plans uh, right. at that yeah. point. They had eliminated the adventure book. Um, 
and they pretty much eliminated everything but the but the the gaming stuff. Mm-hmm. That, that's the thing that I, I, I that I, I don't understand why I I I I always thought having the adventure book in that original box set was just a great idea. You know, yeah, the, I, I was I was in that that camp as well. Uh, it was that was never my never my choice to do that. The the big disadvantage or the thing that happened at that point was all the decisions were being made at Fast in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And we were, of course, in Evansville. I think if we had, and and John Wheeler was in, uh, the editor was in Chicago as well. And had we been closer and able to be there, I think our viewpoint would have been much stronger represented. Yeah, and this this kind of did affect everything from that point on. Yeah, uh, in that we were we were at a remove from it. Um, from the point of second edition on, we're doing a lot of a lot of stuff. We did second editions of uh, the Klingons. We did the second edition of uh, Trader Captains and Merchant Princes, which was Greg's big deal. Um, you know, he did all of the trade stuff for that. And uh, mm-hmm. that was our attempt to take the game beyond being just uh, Starship crew people, but yeah. to, to let you play any well, kind of Federation. Thing, thing you wanted. Uh, well, we had the Klingon book at that point. You know, that kind well, of thing. But, no, but I mean, but beyond playing, playing yeah, people who, play. are not, who are not part of the Klingon Empire, the Romulan Empire, or, right. or the Federation, and which then ended up leading into the Triangle. Yes, yeah. Which was which was the big package that we did to try to um, bring in character or the the races like the Orions and just kind of make things a little more freebooter. We were looking oriented. we were looking at that as being the the central place for play uh, in that. Uh, it was free enough. You could create whatever you wanted and say it was in the triangle. Uh, game game masters could create all kinds of things, and you could encounter almost anything because it was in this kind of lawless area in between the three empires, uh, where you know, and and where the Orions were taking advantage of the fact that there was no real law and order. Uh, involved either, so they would get they would get in there, and, and you could play around with anything. Uh, if you expected someone like you know Cyrano Jones or Harry Mudd to be running around, this is the place they'd want to be uh, because they'd be yep. out from under out from under the thumb of quite so much regulation, uh, uh, and and uh, it allowed allowed for more freebooting than <laughs> than you did. I, I think else. Guy had a lot of fun working on the uh, the the on the triangle. It was kind of a nightmare for me. This this was my biggest nightmare of all the Star Trek projects um. because I had to create every one of those bloody star systems. Yes. Oh, I had to okay. populate I had to populate the entire star map for the entire triangle and it was a royal pain. <laughs> I got to do the fun stuff. I got yeah, to do the yeah. character backgrounds, the uh, interplay of, of the the organizations and things that were were there uh, and set up you know basically I, I got to do what I what I do best and what I enjoy best which is setting adventure hooks into things so that people could come along and hang adventures on them uh, and poor Greg had to do all the grunt work <laughs> on, on that one. Now that's that's the one that's sought after and very difficult to find. It's one of the few uh, ones uh, uh, products that I. I never got. Yeah, same. Uh, 
Now, Trader Captains and Merchant Princes, there, there, were, there were two editions. There was a first edition and a second, both. Uh, but uh, it was, you know, it was never, it was never fastest thing at all. Uh, you know, they, 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 they could care less about, about that end of it. But we insisted that, no, you, we've got to have some way of letting people be characters other than Federation and Klingons and Romulans and all of this. Yeah. Uh, and we, we sold as the idea of, yeah. okay, well, you could be a trade, you'd be a trade captain. Yeah. And Greg put this uh, economic system behind it that allowed you to actually, you know, travel around and trade and, and, and do things with that. Interesting uh, trivia point. Do you know, would you, would you like to guess what one trade item the entire economic system of the Star Trek role-playing game is built on? The mm. price of the Tribble. <laughs> it had to be. Nobody, was the there was only... no economic system in Star Trek, the original system, uh, the, the, the original show. And it was you know, the only thing we ever heard a price for in the entire, entire run of the show was a oh. Tribble. That's right. Yeah. So that's what the economic system was based on, was the, the price of a Tribble. Oh, wow. That's funny. <laughs> that is great. I never thought hey. about that. I I, gra I grab them wherever I can. <laughs> it, was, it was all we had to hang that's, our hat on. That's that's that's, that's the, the only time anybody actually used money was in that episode, uh, and yeah. uh, because of that, we had to. Well, okay, we know how much a triple costs, so we back worked everything from that and decided, okay, well, if a triple costs this, then that means that you know this item probably is this kind of percentage. Uh, of that, you know, this is worth as much as ten tribbles, uh, you know, and so forth. And we went from there. That's great, uh, guy. Do you, you you remember this one? Oh yes, very much so. Yeah, the vanish ran... first first thing I actually I actually wrote that before any of the others really. Uh, I ran this one for John here and a couple other players. Yeah, it was uh, very interesting. How did, how did it go for you, John? I, I, I <laughs> at the end of the game, I was blinded. Oh, no, okay. not, not that. That oh, was a different. Oh, this uh, was the first. That was the this first was one on the, the space station, and you had the. Oh yes, that was that's. I was chief of security, and I accidentally uh, blasted a, a hole in the bulkhead of the station. Trying. <laughs> Oh, ow. Uh, okay, yep. That can happen in that one. Uh, you know, uh, I think that that has some flaws, but for the most part, it tried to reflect my philosophy toward things, which is, you know, if you have to shoot, you're probably playing it wrong. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. And in that one, then I turned around and said, okay, what do you do when you really do have to shoot? Uh, you know, so... It ended up successful. The players, um, I don't think you, none of the aliens were killed that I recall. No. You were able to get them out of there. You saved the crew of the station that was trapped in the transporter buffer. Mm -hmm. um, that, it sounds like you hit, you hit most of the, the good beats in it, and it's not easy. Uh, that one, that one is really—it's kind of tough to come out of that. Sometimes you have to make a decision about, okay, well, I'm going to accomplish this, but I'm going to lose this over here doing it. Yeah, uh, you have to make some decisions on that one. There definitely uh, was collateral damage to the space station. Yep. Um, I remember a lot of running, like going, 
jumping from level to level to to try to get away from the aliens. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll, actually, now that I now actually have you, uh, guy, how, how do you? What's the correct pronunciation of the aliens in that scenario? Uh, the igly. Okay. The igly. Igly. Yeah. There's a, there's a bottle stop in there. Um, I don't think human human vocal cords could really handle it. I can't. <laughs> But it was the ig, the igly is is the closest you're going to get. I just call them igly and be done with it. Yeah. <laughs> and what was what was the sound that they were supposed to make? Because I tried to do that. Oh gee, I don't remember. It's been too long. It's been too long now. Yeah, I did. I I, I threw in a little stuff like that, which drove people nuts. We we could tell them the sound. Huh? You, show them the sound you, or let them hear the sound you made. See if it was close, Gary. Whenever they heard that, they knew there was some trouble. Coming. Yeah, and the whole point of whole point of that was to keep them on the run. Uh, that yeah. never give anybody any time to sit and make a plan. Uh, you, you know, so you, you, we wanted something. That, oh, we got to get out of here. Uh, <laughs> so that's what yeah, the whole that point definitely of that was. Is. What was happening? Yeah. <laughs> it worked. That, that was fun. It actually took us, I don't know, probably four or five sessions because at, at, we were doing that at a game store. We only had a couple hours in the evening, and but it was great. Have um, you folks played Ghosts of Conscience at all? Uh, it's on my list. I want to do it, so John, okay. don't read that book. I won't say too much about it other than uh, that, that game is uh, – where I tried to break out of the idea that well you get a, you get an assignment from the federation and you go and how well you do in the game uh, is determined by how well you you follow your orders uh, and that goes a different direction <laughs> so <laughs> yep I think that's why that it's my one. favorite I've got it, it's certainly I think the most trek of any of them it's the most purely trek adventure that I wrote. I do want to, yeah, so I still have two that I didn't run from the initial book. I didn't run Ghost of Conscience or, again, Troublesome Tribbles. Um, but the last one we ran was the adventure from this. Which, oh, the three, the three sorts book up a date, yeah. Which, um, who wrote? Uh, Greg, you wrote the adventure in that, right? I don't remember. It's I, been too long. It's which, been a while, so I'm not title? sure what, what was which it? one. Uh, what was this, the title of it? Of this the adventure? Was, it was called um, Lost and Presumed Dead. It was the follow-up to... Um, uh, what's the name of the episode with the yeah. blind parrot? Great. Yeah, Greg wrote it. Oh, oh, this was the this was the, the follow-up to Operation Annihilate? Yes. 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 Yeah, that, Greg, would, Greg wrote okay. that one. I yeah. wrote that one. He always liked that event, that particular sh uh, episode, and he, mm. he wrote that one. That that's he did it. try to throw in some stuff that was follow ups. Uh, that was the adventure I ended up uh, at the end of the game blind. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. We flooded yeah. the uh, we flooded the entire uh, ship with uh, ultra uh, high ultraviolet light. <laughs> yeah, and oh, I forgot boy. to close my eyes. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know. You know what. Probably my favorite, the adventure that I wrote that I enjoyed writing and running the most was actually something that never got published. Oh. But it was a it was an adventure that I wrote for uh, a, a Star Trek event for the RPGA a number of years back called uh, Triple Play. Okay. And the concept was really quite fun. 
the Enterprise, or, or it's not the Enterprise, it's your ship. Uh, actually, it was my ship, uh, the Condor, which is a, um, uh, oh, uh, what was the, the uh, I forget, it's the, the Miranda class. Miranda class, yes. Uh, Miranda class starship. Uh, uh, the Condor uh, and her crew comes across this ship, this Federation ship that's been missing for decades. It was a test ship where we've always one of our one of our things. I, I, I got to go back. One of the things, one of the bugs that Guy and I have always had is one of the ships from the original um, Starfleet battles that we disagreed with, as well as the Franz Joseph designs, was the um, dreadnought. The big dreadnought that had three mm-hmm. engines. Okay. So we made it a standard of the game. You could have one engine nacelle. Or you could have two engine nacelles. Three didn't work. Yeah. Which so, is why there were more, why more, like more, more dreadnoughts built. It, it, was, it was overpowering. Uh, again, we were, you know, the whole idea of the dreadnought uh, was to have something was bigger, better, and nastier than the Enterprise was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our feeling was, well, that's not the way the Federation would go. Uh, the Federation would, you know, the, the starships were there. They were big, bad, and nasty, but that well, was not really their, their job. You the know, Constitution was the biggest star, was the biggest and, and most powerful starship at the time. We anyway. didn't want to create battle wagons, right? Uh, so you know, Dave came up with the idea that well, when they created the dreadnought, and we we did mention the dreadnought, that the they never did get the uh, intermix to work properly. But you couldn't balance three engines. You could balance two engines, and of course, you didn't have to balance one engine but you couldn't balance three engines. Mm, okay. So the idea of triple play is they t- is that the Federation took um, the uh, whichever whichever one of the scout ships was that had the two engines on it, mm. which I don't remember now. Lochnar, I think. No, no, no. Was the Lochnar was the frigate. Oh, that's right. That was the uh, I, I can't remember the Nelson or the Larson, whichever one mm-hmm. was the two-engine ship. Uh, and they basically slapped a third nacelle on that. Mm-hmm. And the thing went into warp, and they never heard from it again. <laughs> so, you know, all these years later, the Condor comes across the ship floating uh, derelict in space. And uh, and so the whole adventure basically is exploring this, this ghost ship, trying to find out what happened to the crew, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And then, of course, naturally, the Klingons show up about okay. three quarters of the way through the thing <laughs> uh, when when they're when they're sitting here with a with a, essentially a dead starship. Wow. Uh, and uh, I think that was probably the most fun adventure that I ever wrote for Star Trek. I, it's my it's my definite favorite. It had to be it had to be something that could be handled all in one si- all in one sitting because it was an RPGA tournament adventure. Oh, yeah. Uh, so and it was we, designed to be run in 3 to 4 hours. Mm-hmm. Most well, of the published if you ever adventures. Want to run it again? Hint, hint. <laughs> they have some players that would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could I could probably be uh, persuaded to to drag out the files and and uh, or, and send them to you and let you let you try gaming in that one. Oh, that'd or, be great. Or if you if yeah if you want to yeah. <laughs> the other the other person yeah GM again <laughs> I think Garen wants to wants to be a player <laughs> the other personal favorite among the published adventures of mine was uh, 
witness for the defense because that was one where I got to go back and and visit an old episode again uh, and play with some characters that we had. Uh, and that was that was mm-hmm. the, the one involving the Horta. Yep, there it is. Yep. I love that cover, by the way. It really, you know, the cover, I think, really sells that. Uh, you know, it's not this... It's not this clean thing. It's this, you know, this, this uh, slapped together weird conglomeration of pipes and, and spires and all of this uh, for the refinery. And uh, yep. it looks a lot like the. Ba- it was it was designed to look a lot like the background painting that they yeah. used in that, in that particular episode. It does. It has a lot of uh, really cool maps in it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We had we had a lot of fun doing that. Did you did uh, did did you guys do the um... The maps as well for the adventures. Most of them, yes. Now they did. Yep. We didn't do the the finals. They had they had their artists at their end do the finals. We designed them, and then they would they would polish those up for the final versions. Yeah, some of the early adventures I noticed had had some of the best maps. Um, Put a lot of time into some of those because we we we'd go back through the episodes, especially ones that tied into something, uh, and you know try to try to look at them and go, okay, well, you know. We see seeds and, and where the scenes are and how far apart people are and this kind of thing. What would that really look like uh, if if we laid it out? And that was it was witness or the fence did a lot of that. Did yeah. Did you have any input on the deck plans that was included in the first edition? Some, but not a lot. Uh, there were there were you know, more based on their uh, experience doing traveler deck plans and on. Uh, fan-based deck plans that were out there that had kind of speculated this, that, and the other, the fans had kind of accepted it. Okay. Uh, so uh, we did make suggestions on them. Uh, there were some things that we kind of said, okay, this has to be in there and has to be somewhere around this area and so forth. But for the most part, they, they did all the, the final drafting on all of that. Uh, I would my I would have gone blind long <laughs> before I finished that. Yeah, I would I would I would, pu- I would pour over those deck plans for hours just. <laughs> yeah, they, they were, they were so much in them. Yeah. They were just amazing. Hey, uh, did you ever get a copy of uh, a, a copy of the full full sized ones? No, unfortunately, no. <laughs> yeah, they those sold them sold them in a roll. Uh, yeah, uh, full sized deck plans for for that and for the and for the Klingon D seven, and those were just you know. You just fill a wall with that oh, stuff. I didn't know. I didn't know they did that. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh-huh. I have the copies were in, that were in the box set. They're folded up in multiple sheets. So these right. are about. They're about twice. They're the twice size. as large because yeah. they have they have the the full half inch grid system on them. Oh. For for use with the uh, the counters. Right. Oh, wow. oh. I had no idea because that was the thing that I I thought was kind of a shame in that you had the deck plans but. They were shrunken down. You couldn't use them as. Balance. No, these these took these took the entire thing to a to a half inch grid, uh, on that, and uh, the, like I say, they were they were just massive things. Yeah, yeah. They sold in a roll. They're very hard to come by, largely because the the case that the roll you know rolled up in this square box they didn't survive very long. They they, mm-hmm. they get yeah. beat up very easily. Now, I had mine stolen. I don't have a set myself. Ah, I had mine stolen at a Gen Con. I think uh, I still have one set. You still have one set? I believe I do, yeah. I got to see if I can track one of those down. That's awesome. Every now yeah. and then you'll see one pop up on eBay, but you very seldom see one still with a box. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. Wow. But they were they were gorgeous and they and they were 
they were perfect for gaming on because they were they were the right scale for the for the counters. We got yeah. big acetate sheets to put over the top mm -hmm. of them during games so that you could write on them and 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 do all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, all right, guys. Well, we're getting up on the. I can't believe it, but it's almost been two hours here. Oh my oh, gosh, Lord. I'm sorry. Oh I, no, I'm, it's I'm, great. It's, no, we were worried that we're gonna, you know, we're we're going too long for you guys since we said I think I said an hour to hour and a half, but tearing us loose on this kind of thing is always dangerous. So I can I can listen to more of your stories. This has been, yeah, this has been great. I guess I should tell you the kind of the end of our our tale of being involved with with the game. Yeah, the. After the second dish came out, we weren't as involved in, in things. Uh, we did the first, we, we were brought into the first edition of Doctor Who when it came out. And uh, that was another situation where they had somebody already who had designed it, but was having trouble with a lot of the background stuff. So we ended up writing some of the character creation. We, care, we created the, we, we created all the, all the, uh, the NPCs. Mm -hmm. And guy wrote uh, the uh, uh, fictional section intros and such. Yeah, my uh, the uh, uh, Stan and Tabby, the two characters from from that who are all in all the explanations of how the systems work and everything were, were my creation. Uh, a uh, another Time Lord and his companion, uh, and we we did that with was, was a, a running fictional story in there yeah. which introduced each parts of it introduced each section of the rules but we did that for them and I'm sorry, were, you, were you guys big whovians before before oh, yes okay oh yes uh my problem was i couldn't get enough of the episodes here yeah. uh the local uh pbs channel carried a lot of stuff but mostly you know all i had seen uh was tom baker well, that's um, all I had seen. So yeah. we got into we we got put with a couple of people who were sending us tapes uh, from New York. Guy who had who had managed to collect a whole bunch of stuff, and he was sending us copies of tapes so that we could we could watch. You know, everything was still in in existence that was that, that we could find. Of course, there's a lot of the very early stuff that, that is, isn't available at all. That and I was buying every bloody novelization yes, that I could find of every. I mean, at one point. They had published novelizations of, I'd say probably seventy five percent of yeah, the of the uh, of the serials. Yes, oh. and I had purchased most all as many of those as I could find, including getting a lot of it from from overseas from the and the, of course and of course I read the releases all. of the books. I you know I read them all. I mean, <laughs> uh, but we worked, we worked on that for them. Yeah. Um, and they did a second edition of that, which basically did with that what they'd done mm -hmm. with second edition of Star Trek as well. Yeah. Uh, same editor uh, putting that together. Mm -hmm. But we gradually kind of, you know, faded away from that. They weren't offering us as many things. Yeah, uh, I'd say I'd say Triangle was probably our last. Triangle big was the first last really big project that we did. Yeah. Uh, we had several promotion, several things that we were promoting, uh, doing that that never came about. FASA had big projects they wanted to do, uh, and we didn't want anything to do with them. They were doing, uh, they wanted to do a big war game uh, that basically was a, a war among the Klingons, Romulans, and Federation. Uh, and they Giant wanted to starship battles. Battles, big starship battles, you know, both, uh, uh, you know, tactical and strategic. 
and we just didn't want to do it at all. Well, and then they and um, then they they also came up with that whole special operations. Yes, Federation yeah. Special Operations Unit, which thing were with, were basically with, you know guys with big big phaser rifles and, and black and, and black, black ops and, and and all this kind of you know. And we didn't want to have anything to do with any of that. Uh, so a lot of other people got involved and, and did some of those, and some of it never came out. And they kept pushing uh, us further and further and further away from from the whole whole stuff. And they were having trouble getting those projects approved because mm -hmm. they were all, you know, not really in the spirit of Trek as far as Paramount was concerned. Uh, by that time, Roddenberry wasn't as much of a an issue there. It was all, you know, uh, the next generation was out. Uh, yeah. They were just, they were past the first uh, season of, of that where you know, Roddenberry's you know, in, influence had faded. Uh, and uh, so, you know, but, but Roddenberry was want, still, but Roddenberry was still involved was somewhat involved with, with the uh, with, with the licensing. So, they got to the point where, um, since we weren't doing a lot of new stuff for them, um, the publisher decided that he was not in any hurry to pay us. <laughs> and we we were the only people who were were working for them who had. Um, a royalty contract. Yeah. By this point, uh, Ross Babcock was gone. Yeah. Uh, and Jordan was no longer really running the show at all. Jordan was was mostly off doing BattleTech. Yeah. Uh, at that time, and they were getting into doing. They were going to do the uh, uh, the big BattleTech simulator uh, video game consoles yeah. and all of this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, it was uh, Jordan's father who was the, the money man behind FASA originally, uh, had now, you know, pretty much controlled the purse strings entirely. And, you know, at one point, you know, conversations got less than congenial mm -hmm. uh, on that, uh, to the point where basically, you know, we were told, well, you know, we can, we can hire anybody to do this stuff. We don't need you. Uh, and besides, you know, uh, you've made enough money from your from the royalty contract. Yeah, he didn't want to pass uh, any more royalties because he felt like he'd paid already paid us enough. So he offered he us a buyout, and, and the buyout was like a quarter of what we made in an average year mm. off the royalties, and we turned it down, and so he just stopped paying. He <laughs> said, "Sue us," because uh, again, we were in Evansville; they were in Chicago. We. You know, even in a different state, which means that we'd have had to have gone up there, found a lawyer, uh, and and sued them in Illinois, and they knew that we couldn't afford to sue them. And so it wasn't that big a deal. It wasn't that that much money yeah. at that point? Uh, you know, that it was really worth doing that. And we had other things yeah, in the, the fire. And the the particular the particular line was, well, haven't you made enough money off of this game so far at this point? And Dave turned around and said. Well, I don't know. Have you made a, enough money off of it? Are you are you going to stop making any money? Well, no. Then we haven't either. <laughs> yeah. Right. But that was that was pretty much the attitude. So everything after that was was written without our input, and we began to hear rumblings because the fans, you know, that we people we had met and said, well, "Why is anything new coming out?" You know, yeah. they would, they announced stuff. They talked about this, talked about yeah. that. And nothing came out, uh, and we eventually David found out. Kind of through the back channels, that the reason they weren't was because they couldn't get anything past Paramount as far as being willing to do it. Yeah. Then it was time to renew the license. And well, now to, to add to that, 
Dave found out that the um, that they they had actually told them, you know, Paramount. The, you know, they were having trouble getting things through Paramount, and Paramount wasn't approving anything. And they finally and, and they finally said, well, what do we need to do to get these projects, some of these projects approved? And Paramount basically Roddenberry said, well, why don't you get the original guys who wrote the original original game to do some of the stuff? We'll we like their stuff. This was the last thing they wanted to hear. Oh, right. <laughs> and their response to Paramount was, oh, they're no longer writing. They they they're they're out of the business. Yeah, they're out of the business. They're retired. Oh, brother. Uh, yeah. So they basically lied to Paramount that uh, we weren't available um, simply because they didn't want us involved anymore. Okay. And their, their last presentations to them, last things they sent over, uh, were this big uh, Operation Armageddon, which was the, the big battle thing that never came out, uh, and this uh, uh, Federation Marines thing where it was basically yeah. ground combat troops and stuff like that. And Paramount said, well, uh, I think this has gone about as far as it's going to go and did, did not renew their license. Well, now, don't, there, was, there was a little more to it than that. Okay. Um, the last pro print product that, that FASA did oh, under yeah. Star Trek license was the Next Generation source book. Yeah. Funny thing. Funny thing. They never submitted that one for approval. They just went and, ahead. And, and you could tell by, when you look at it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They never bought it. It wasn't, it wasn't approved. And Paramount was rather... PO'd that they, they were, would they were a little burned up. Yeah, that that this wasn't covered by their license. This was not, you know, their license was specifically for the original series and the movies, not next generation. And uh and Paramount was a little PO'd. And uh and then uh I think Dave said something to Paramount that you know basically spilled the beans on a couple of the things. And at that point, Paramount said, "That's it." And they pulled it. They pulled the plug. Uh -huh. They didn't didn't renew the license. It wasn't that they they'd take the license from them. They just they didn't renew refused it. to renew it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, at that time. And I think if you ask, you know, some of the people at FASA will probably tell you a slightly different, yeah, directional story of that. They they, they may know more about it than we do because mm -hmm. we were kept at arc's length yeah. on that. But I did still maintain uh, contact with Major Rodberry. And I happened to run out you know, long after we were out of this, and and, and they were you know things were wrapping up. Nothing had come out for some time, and I asked her frankly. I said, "What what did Gene think of the thing when he saw it?" He said, I "Never found out. Never got to ask him." Uh, and she said, "He he loved the original game. That he thought it really it it captured something that nobody else had done with the other things they had seen." Uh, and he said he never did understand what had happened. That you know why why things had changed so much in those last products and those last things coming out. So um, you know it's kind of bittersweet, really, uh, the way it all ended. Um, but it was a grand ride while it lasted. Uh, kind of a pyrrhic victory when you get right down. To yeah, it. yeah. It's, I, I would I would rather have won differently. Uh, yeah. I would rather I would rather have lost. And, and the system stayed around and, and stayed in print and, and all of that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I kind of look back at that and uh, in all the years since things, I think that if, I, if I've ever remembered for anything in gaming, it'll probably be that. Uh, and 
I look back at that with some pride, uh, and I look back at it and I go, boy, you know, I, I couldn't have lucked into a project that meant more to me. I couldn't have found a fictional universe that I more wanted to be part of. And I, I just, I really feel privileged that some of what I did at least got to be part of this grand saga uh, that is so much bigger than any of us. It's bigger than Gene Roddenberry. It's bigger than all the people who worked on, on the series. Uh, the fans made it bigger. Uh, the fans kept it alive and growing and expanding, uh, and it meant so much to so many people. And I had a chance to be a part of that for a little while. Well, it built our careers. No, oh, yeah. It uh, built yeah, our absolutely. game design careers. I mean, we were nobodies when we came into this thing, and when we came out of it, we were... We, we were the guys names, into Star Trek. So. We were names in the gaming industry. But the... Uh, the uh, I've never, never since had, you know, the opportunity to do something uh, that was as personal for me as this game was. It was very important to, I think, to all of us. Uh, David, right up to David, as, as I think we, we mentioned at one point, he passed away early. Uh, he's, uh, he developed a very, very rare uh, disease that uh, was progressive and, and eventually left him, uh, you know, totally invalid, and then he passed away. Um, a horrible, horrible well, after, loss after, for everybody. After having a massive heart attack. Yeah, massive heart attack that. on top of that. And it was just one of those things that you just kind of kind of went uh, over a long period of time for. And for David, that whole thing was, you know, it was so important to him. It was so much part of him. Uh, and I, I look back at those days and, you know, that was, the, those were the golden days. Those were the days that, uh, I really felt like I was doing something that uh, would last and would matter. And I've been very flattered to be contacted by people like you guys who are still out there enjoying it and still doing something with it. And every every time I run into someone like that, I kind of look back and go, well, it was it was worth it. It was it was something that uh, an experience I had that, you know, I was very, very lucky to have. Wow. Yeah. Um, I guess speaking for myself, it meant, like I said earlier, the game meant a lot to me. Um, you know, at the time I was, uh, you know, I, I got in Star Trek pretty, pretty young and I was really, really, really introverted back at the time. I didn't have a lot of friends. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't have, you know, really anyone to play the game at the time. But, you know, I really I loved the, the stuff you guys put together. Uh, I love going through the character creation systems, and um, you know, it's something that I always remembered. And when I finally had, you know, time after what 25, 30 years later to kind of, kind of get back into gaming and into Star Trek and the things I love, that was it. Was it literally was guys the first thing I went to? I said I want to play Thaza's Star Trek role playing game. I'm gonna go find some people that want to play it with me. And uh, and I was one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very flattering. Yeah. It really is. Which which led I, to I this podcast. No <laughs> I have no illusions about about things. What what mattered there? What made things work was the fact that Star Trek is one of the perfect uh, 
universes, fictional universes uh, that people can lose themselves in, that people can can find the best parts of themselves and immerse themselves in. It's what's made Star Trek work over the years. Uh, it wasn't anything that we did. We're, you know, our luck here was being able to uh, have the opportunity to do it because we came into it at a time when the license wasn't really expensive and, and people were able to, to, to do something like this on something of a shoestring. Uh, and that we were immersed enough in it ourselves that we kind of wrote for what we felt we would want uh, and as, as Trek fans. Uh, and I think, you know, Star Trek works so well if you let it as a fictional universe. To this day, I still think it is one of the greatest fictional universes ever created. Uh, and it's not, it's not, you know, although, you know, Gene's vision is so important to it and what he put through it, but it's not just Gene. It was everybody who contributed to Star Trek, especially its fans, that made Star Trek that kind of experience for people. And to have been lucky enough to do that and and have have a stamp of approval on that just you know uh to to this day it's something that i treasure all right well i think uh that is a great ending uh to this incredible uh conversation that we've had uh with guy mclemore and greg uh payline um two of the original designers are along with david teeple of Thaz's Star Trek, the role-playing game. Um, guys, really appreciate it. Uh, before we go, is there anything that you want to talk about or plug or anything you're working on now that we can, we can talk? No, not so much on my end of it. Greg, however, <laughs> the, the interesting thing, things everything goes around comes around. Um, Modifius now has the yeah. license for, for this. And uh, you know we were we were in contact with most of the people who've done the thing at one time or another. Uh, you know, it's, uh, some of them were nice enough even to mention us uh, when they did this that they had been players of the FASA game uh, and had enjoyed it, and that had influenced their their work on on later versions of the role playing game. Uh, and uh, I was one of the backers from Modifius's. Uh, Thunderbirds game because I love Thunderbirds <laughs> and had always that was one of the things if, if, if there was a universe I wanted to play in that was you know it never got to was one of those so um, you know he, he, I, I corresponded with them some on that uh, and they told us about the, the the Star Trek thing and Greg started to talk to them and well the upshot of it is that he's going to be writing I may I may be, be maybe contributing to the project oh, wow. how yet. How yet? I don't Great. know. I still have to uh, contact uh, Modifius and talk to them a little more and find out what they want. But I have the op I have the possibility and the opportunity to to be a contributor to it. I'm really excited to see that project come out. Just as you know, just as a a, a gamer and 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 yeah. a fan, uh, because they did such a wonderful job uh, with Thunderbirds, and uh, I mean I. I spent far more than I ever should have spent <laughs> on that on that kick on that <laughs> Kickstarter, uh, simply because they had so much wonderful stuff going on there, and it was it was worth every penny. It was fantastic, uh, so I, I recommended the game very highly. Uh, but it's it's funny that you know things go around like that. Neither Greg or I is doing a lot of publishing work anymore. 
Uh, Greg and, and I and, and uh, another friend of ours uh, founded a, a separate game company. We started up doing PDF distributed games electronically uh, back when everybody told us we were crazy, that nobody was ever going to buy anything in, in electronic form. <laughs> Uh, and uh, that's a whole different story, but uh, that went on for for a long, long time. And a lot of that stuff is, is still available, and, and people are still buying some of it. So we're we're happy with that too. But uh, we're not currently working on anything in, in game oriented. Certainly nothing Star Trek oriented until this thing came along. And Craig got in touch with them. And they you know, said I, they would I, love I, to work with. I went up kids. to Gen Con. Uh, I went up to Gen Con. Uh, just day tripped up there. This past year, and talked to the talked to uh, the people at uh, Modifius and said, "Hey, I might be interested." And he said, "Cool." <laughs> so uh, they just I just got an email from them a couple of days or yesterday, and I need to need to send back or write back to them. So if, if nothing else, the, the story Possibly. story may not be entirely over. That is Possibly. great. Yeah, yeah. John and I are actually in the playtest for um, Odysseus' Star Trek now. Oh, I envy you. Actually, I wish I'd had had time and 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 ability to do that because uh, I I'm really really anxious to hear what that's going to be like. Uh, their approach that they told me about was really a good one, uh, and uh, yeah, I went, oh man, that would be a lot of fun. So I hope you're enjoying it. Yeah, we yeah, are definitely. And uh, if, you know, if you guys ever have time, you know, time to game, let us know. Well, the, the you got this thing called the uh, the internet and video conferencing. Yep. So yeah, m most of our games are done on Roll20.net. So oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a member of that. So uh, yeah, that would that uh, that was another Kickstarter that I. <laughs> 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 I, I, I find myself buying a whole lot of games and not running a whole lot of stuff anymore. <laughs> uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty busy at my, my day job, and uh, but I still love gaming. I still love uh, all the things that I did, and so I, now I'm I give you the Kickstarters and 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 back new stuff that's coming out and uh, buy things in PDF so I get a chance to read them mm -hmm. uh, and still follow it that way. And uh, there's it's so exciting right now. This is the gold. This is a new golden age. Uh, now that nobody has to worry as much about how am I going to get distribution, how am I going to get this right. to somebody once to do it. So many projects can be done now that would not have been able to be done before. Small projects, things that are aimed at small fandoms and small groups of people who who, who love it, uh, and that. You know, really excites me. We were in on the beginning of that, and and it really excites me what's going on in gaming right now. Uh, I wish I were more active in it, but at the very least, I get to enjoy it, uh, <laughs> and, and that's that's really terrific for me. I really like that. That's great. Uh, all right, John. Anything else from you? Uh, no, I just want to thank both of you for uh, all that you've done to contribute to Star Trek. Going back to helping get the third season. Uh, the go-ahead, because without that third season, Star Trek might have uh, gone the way of the dodo. And well, there were there were millions of fans yeah. enjoy, involved in that. I I didn't have a big role in that in any in respect. Just that I, you know, that was when I began my correspondence with B. Joe, uh, and you know, I just I just love that story because it is such a underdog story. It is such a uh, a story where you know the fans really made a difference 
in something and got something back. Uh, you know, it's the same same true with the, uh, Joss Whedon's Firefly and being able to do the movie yeah. there. Uh, that was entirely because you know fans cared so much about this fictional universe over such a short period of time that they got to play with it that they they wanted more. They they and people haven't given up. They have not given up. They're still bugging him. You know, isn't there some way we can bring this thing back after all these yeah. years? And uh, you know, he's never been willing to say no entirely. He said, well, not likely, but, you know, he's never quite said no. And as long as he doesn't, there'll, there'll always be a group of people who love it. Uh, but now we're getting started with a brand new Star Trek series. Yes. Uh, getting ready to come out, and I'm dying to see that. Uh, so, you know, we're gonna, you know, I'm going to jump right in on that the second it comes out. Uh, and uh, I've already already got my CBS All Access <laughs> thing now. Uh, so I'm, I'm ready. Whatever they are, I'm, I'm all set. Uh, but uh, we've got a whole new group of people who we can turn on to this. And yeah. wow, you know, it doesn't Absolutely. end. Yeah. It doesn't have to end. All right, guys. Um we really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Um, if you ever want to come back and talk Star Trek or gaming, let us know. We'd be happy to have you back on. Be happy to. We'd be happy to. And uh, thank you so much for your interest. Thank you for being people who still care about this after all this this time. It always just blows me away that that people are still caring about and playing a game that has been out of print for so very, very long. Uh, and you know, just kind of like, Wow, you know uh, how lucky we are uh, to have people out there who who maintain this stuff and 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 keep adding to it and keep uh, you know talking about it and playing it. Uh, we thank you. You're you're the ones who make it work. Really appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, we'll 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 take it even longer. Absolutely. <laughs> All There's right, guys. Funny stories to tell. Absolutely. Oh yes. Yep. <laughs> I want to hear yours at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, that's it. We'll take it. We'll take that. We'll get. We'll be in touch, guys. There'll be plenty to talk about, like you said about. The, I mean, the new series is coming out. The new role playing games coming out. There'll be plenty of things to talk about. So, uh, thanks again. We hope you have a great day and a great weekend. Yeah, I have to get myself back to my wife now. This is our anniversary. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> this this gives you an idea. We've been married thirty years, and this gives you an idea of you know what what a patient woman this is. Uh, the uh, the first edition is partially dedicated to her, uh, and this is why she's still with me uh, and still manages to, to let me get away with doing this kind of thing. Uh, you know, on her on her anniversary, uh, you know. So, well, well, th well thank her, her for she's put up with a lot just being a game designer's wife for all these years. Well, thank her for us for allowing you to uh, take uh, over two hours away from your anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> sure will. <laughs> thanks, guys. Thank you. Take have, care. Have a good one. Take, oh, take it easy. Bye.